another episode of the planet fantasy podcast and we're your hosts damon and kyle how's it going it's going well my friend how are you i can't complain it's been a week i've just been studying my ass off for uh this this fun life insurance exam so you know how about you man have you been watching anything fun as of late life insurance the casual stuff um yeah i so I can't do it anymore because it's over. I, I think every week Atlanta's been on, I have obnoxiously plugged it on the podcast. It, it's over. Season three is over. I'm now really hoping season four is a quick turnaround because that finale was uh, not a finale. But it was a good bottle episode. Damon and I have talked about this. Um, but I'm curious to see what they do with season four. But for now, just watch Barry if you're listening. Watch, watch Barry or Under the Banner of Heaven. Both are great. Yes, um, thanks to friend of the pod, Austin, I watched Yellow Jackets, finally. Mm. And that is a wild show. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I was not expecting it to be like that. Um, But also, joining us today, friend of the pod, Nick. How's it going, man? What's up, what's up? Everything's going great. Happy to be back on the pod. Good, good, Good to hear from you, man. What about you? Have you been watching anything fun? Um, fun might not be the right word. Um, I am on a, uh, a pilgrimage, if you will, to finish the Arrowverse as it, uh, slowly crumbles, uh, around CW. So, um, I am working through that. It's, uh, it's been, it's a time, um, there's a lot of things happening, um, but, uh, has its really, really good parts and it's really, really bad parts. So, but, uh, that is a personal, like personal goal of mine to finish that all in order. So I'm working on it. That yeah, you do you. That is um that's a great watch, I guess, if you're interested. I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I like the first few seasons of it all, but just it's actually not a great watch. It's just my mental health likes completionism and uh and here we are. So that's it's really not um it's really not great. I have struggled through a lot of things. Um but uh but you know, if I can do this, I can do anything, I think. So I like that point of view. Also joining us today in the producing duties, Anna H. How's it going? Pretty good. Finally got the Rona, so I'm recovering. <laughs> so I sound like uh, Sexy Phoebe from Friends in that one episode. Uh, good otherwise, though. I've been watching The Flight Attendant, which is a very good binge. I actually... Um, finished it last night and it was fantastic highly recommend if someone's into true crime and thrillers um kaylee cuoco is just a delight and uh the guy who plays dario from game of thrones is in it which is a very delightful surprise the better dario that's a good clarification the better dario Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to hear from everybody, what y'all been watching. But uh, let's get down to business, y'all. We're here for a, for a draft, not just any draft, a fantasy cast. What are we doing today, Kyle? 
That's right. We are basically going to be fantasy casting our dream video game adaptations, whether they are movies, TV shows, uh, you know, Quibi videos. We are going to be adapting a video game or video game series, um, giving you basically our director slash writer who's making it. And then we agreed on five cast members, right? I think that's the number. Okay, so five cast members. Um, yeah, it's gonna be lots of fun. Uh, obviously, the rule is that it cannot have already been made into like a big movie or TV show, um, but otherwise, everything is up for grabs. So, uh, to decide the order, we haven't done this in a hot minute. We're gonna play a good old fashioned list game. What is the list game for this week, Anna? I immediately hate the fact that I drew this card, but the card that I drew is movies about sports. <laughs> Oh, well, I Nick wish just I was wins. making this Nick up, is... but I'm not. <laughs> this one's Nick's. It, it's over. <laughs> um, You're underselling cool. Damon. How long I can? Damon loves. Yeah, us. no. This is. I should. I'm just gonna take myself out of the equation. This is Nick and Damon, but I'll see how much I can last just for fun. Um, let's go. Uh, Nick, go first. Damon, second, and I'll go third. Um, the longest yard. Moneyball. Forty-two. Uh, Airbud. Mighty Ducks. Rocky. Uh, Angels in the Outfield. Remember the Titans. Uh, the Rookie. Rudy. Raging Bull. Warrior. Major League. Never back down. Um, Coach Carter. Basketball Diaries. Semi-pro. Hoosiers. Goon. (laughs) Talladega Knights. Bench warmers. Ford v Ferrari. Good movie. That is Blades of Glory. Uh, I just have one. What was it? Um. Oh God, the Sandlot. I Tanya. <laughs> D D two, the Mighty Ducks, two. Uh, the Bad News Bears. Flubber. <laughs> Wait, what's the sport? What is the sport? Basketball. Is it? I haven't Flubber's seen the Robin Williams movie, isn't it? Isn't that the, like the Mad Scientist movie? Yeah. yeah. The Flubber, he plays, plays basketball. All in it. That, okay. All in it. All right. <laughs> that is I need to rewatch that movie. movie. That's probably that the only sports scene? movie I know, so I will allow it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Anna H allows it, so. Um, okay, Ernest plays basketball. Gridiron <laughs> um, Gang. Like Mike. Field of Dreams. 
Bull Durham. For the love of the game. Love and basketball. Yeah, we could just go on a Kevin Costner sports movies tangent. Um, Tin Cup. Draft day. <laughs> Glory Road. Uh, the greatest game ever played. Trouble with the curve. We are Marshall. Um, a league of their own. Miracle. Hardball. The way back. Jesus. Uh, Joanna Man. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Oh, yeah. Um. God. Uh. Balls of Fury? Is it a isn't that a ping pong movie? It's a ping pong movie. <laughs> <Sweet>. Dodgeball. <laughs> ah, yes. Bring it on. Space Jam. Space Jam, a new legacy. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> God damn it. Brink. Uh, <clears throat> Uncle Drew Johnny Tsunami <laughs> Double teamed And that's a basketball movie y'all <laughs> <laughs> Surf's up. High school musical. <laughs> have we said Air Bud 2? We have not. We've, We've only said one Air, Air Bud. <laughs> um, Creed. Rocky 2. Rocky three. Yeah, I think we've reached that point. Rocky four. Uh, Rocky Balboa. Uh, I love to see objective skipping over Rocky five. <laughs> what? What move? What? What did you say? Um, no, no, no. Oh God. Um. Now it's it's getting tough. Um. Everybody wants some. Mm. 
the natural. The rookie. I said the rookie. Oh. All right. Well, I uh, we can go on forever, so I will yield my spot by saying that I duplicated. <laughs> um, Eddie's million dollar cookoff. I was trying to think of the full name, and it was Eddie something. Um, rookie of the year. Days of Thunder? Rush. Rush. Oh, God. Um, was it King Richard? Mm, yep. yep. That movie slapped. <laughs> no, Kyle. <laughs> Too soon. Um, Little Giants. Love that fucking movie. The the Big Green. Ooh. Um, kicking and screaming. Will Ferrell has done so many. Sports movies, because um, I have no idea. I'm I'm done. <laughs> All right. Do you want one last ditch effort? Five, four, three, two, one. Um. No, I'm I'm not. All right. I can't. I'm- I'm so sorry to all the listeners if you're still awake. If you're asleep at this point, we get it. Um, Okay, so I guess I win. Um, I'm going to have Nick go first, and then Damon, and then I'll take the turnaround. Um, So the way we're going to structure it, like we said at the top, we we each have five cast members. Um, We're going to start with uh, an unofficial draft pick, which is basically our writer slash director, and then our first casting choice. So Nick, kick, kick us off. What are you adapting? All right. So in the year 2006, um, the Xbox was popular. Um, the company called Burger King was giving out um, video games with their extra value meals. Um, there was one video game that I played a lot called Burger Sneak. Uh, that is what I will be adapting today. Um, Real quick, because probably no one else played it. Um, Burger Sneak was a game where you were the Burger King, and you snuck around a town, and you fed hungry people. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a uh, creative... um, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is. I'm going to take a detour on that. There will be a Burger King. Um, He will be sneaking. Um, And it will be directed by Lord Miller, and it will be produced by Blumhouse. Um, So if anyone can predict what direction I'm going in. Um, Do you want me to draft my first thing? Yes? Okay. So first character has to be the king himself. So um, premise of the movie is that um, we have a group of young 20-somethings who are being stalked and hunted by the Burger King. Um, He is attempting to kill them. 
uh, standard horror movie stuff. Um, the Burger King himself will be played by Jim Carrey. Um, he is the best physical comedian of our time. Uh, he will not be speaking in this role. It will just be Jim Carrey in the Burger King costume with the giant head. Um, let's say Jar Jar Binksing around, bumbling around, attempting to kill these 20-somethings. Um, whenever he tries to kill them, though, he does not kill them the way he intends. Um, there will be times where he is swinging with a machete at somebody, and he will just miss them completely. But in his uh, carried awayness, he will turn over a table, and then they will trip and fall down the stairs or something like that. Um, he will... Um, They'll be talking in the living room, and you'll just see a giant Burger King head doing a somersault across the room trying to sneak up on them. Um, so just physical comedy like that from Jim Carrey, the Burger King. A um, little backstory on the Burger King. The reason he wants to take out these, these teens is that they, um, they all work at the Burger King um, in town. And he is very mad that uh, Burger King, this corporation, has taken his name, image, and likeness um, and used it for all this corporate greed. He was a, he was a vegan. He, he didn't even eat meat. And now they're using his name to sell burgers to millions. He doesn't like it. He's not happy. This is, this is not good. Um, so his ghost is coming to, to wreck things. Um, I do have more, but uh, I will leave it at that. I don't have words like I'm, I'm speechless. Uh, this is my favorite. We are 100 and something episodes in now, 110 maybe. This is my single favorite draft pick that's ever been made on this podcast. Jim Carrey, are you kidding me? Like this is, sorry, David, go ahead. I mean, what do you think about the Burger King? What, what's the name? Sorry, what, do we have a title for this movie? Oh, sorry, Nick, uh, you, you're muted. You, uh, I didn't actually think of a uh, title for this movie. I've been too worked up on the uh, on the storyline. Um, we'll just name it after the video game, The Burger Sneak. Um, and it's yeah. we're gonna we're all having issues with muting. It's fine. We're gonna be fine. It's okay. This this is why I love these episodes. To be completely honest, is because. We we do this like we want to do some video games and then you come in here with Burger Sneak and it's just like of course this this needed to happen. Jim Carrey as the Burger King, who is a vegan, and is mad that they took his likeness for corporate greed is hilarious and very appropriate for the time. And Jim Carrey, who is you know who has said he's he's kind of going to step away, he might not be done, you know? If this was his last role ever, it would be iconic. And I could just see him moving around with that head on. And it's just... We, you cut out at the end there. Gotcha. Um, but no, really, just who who better than Jim Carrey, really? Um, I adore that. Kyle, do you think Lord and Miller is the right call for this? Because I, I definitely do. 
Yeah, this is uh, this is wild shit. I am still a little like in awe and amazed. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. We're all in a group chat together. That has I, I was going to call it an Among Us group chat, but who the fuck knows what it is at this point. Um, we are all in a big group chat together where someone mentioned how terrifying the Burger King is. Nick, that was you, right? And now it's making so much more sense. Like I think it was Nick. It was like a few days ago. Yeah, I um I, I floated it out there just to make sure I wasn't the only one that thought he was terrifying looking. Um, and that 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 really sealed it for me. This was a joke pick. Like I was. Honestly, I was probably 10 pages of notes into a Magic the Gathering pitch, and I'm like, this is too deep, it's too complex, this is not fun at all, and I just started making another idea just for fun, just to get my brain off of the, the bogged downness that that fucking lore is, and I was like, oh, this is better, this is, be- this is way better, fuck that stuff, like, someone else, someone smarter than me can do that, I'm gonna make this. That's amazing, that's, yeah, what a, what a pivot, um... All right, let's let's jump to Damon. Follow the burger sneak up from Blumhouse. What, what do you got for us? I, I okay. So everything now is going to be a disappointment, but that's you know that's that's what we we asked for here. Um, I'm going to do a much more recognized game, uh, one that people still play today. Um, it is just one of my favorite games I've ever played. Um, I'm talking about Red Dead Redemption Two. Um, and we're essentially just going to be calling the whole the series Red Dead. Um, and this will be the first season of of a series which will follow different people throughout time. Uh, this first one, of course, will be following the the Vanderlyn gang. Um, and of course, this is a ten episode series. Uh, showrunner by the great Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, yes, he's he's doing a show. Uh, this is uncharted territory, I believe, right? He he has not done a TV show, right? Uh, uh, to my knowledge, um, and so I feel like this would be the the kind of thing he would want to do. It's going to be this western that's going to be action as well as psychological. It's going to be about the trauma and the regret and just what this gang is going through, um, and and everything like that. And so I think Paul Thomas Anderson would be perfect for that. And it would just give it a really large, really great sense of scope and scale for this uh, project. Um, but Red Dead, it's going to essentially follow the Vanderlyn gang as they uh, escape a ferry heist that goes wrong. And uh, as they escape and they try to find a new place to lay low and start anew, um, the leader Dutch tells them that they are going to try to lead a new life. They're going to go legit after just one last job. That's what they always say. Um, and so we, of course, want to first meet the protagonist, the leading the leading man of this, this series. That's going to be Arthur Morgan. He is essentially one of the leading uh, officials of this gang. He was um, Dutch's first protege. He met him all the way back when he was 14, uh, when he lost both of his parents. Um these days, he's pretty much the enforcer of the group. He's a very skilled fighter. He is not afraid of pretty much anything, and he's he's a bit rough around the edges. But when we meet him after this fairy heist going wrong, he's really starting to question everything. Um, he's got a lot of regret, and he's just he's the idea of starting over is really really appealing to him, and he grabs onto it 
probably more than anyone else in the gang. And this really starts the trek of the of the story. And who's Arthur Morgan? Hugh Jackman. Um, I believe Hugh Jackman would be able to hit this role so well. We know how good he is at playing those roles with gravitas. Um, he conveys so much emotion in his face. We also know that he's very skilled fighting. Um, it will be very believable. And to see him in a role like this in a Western, I think, would just be amazing. I would be so excited to see something like that and to have him be this this character who's who's really trying to, to break form from what he knows. And as I'm going to tell you in, with more characters, he really starts becoming a, a mentor figure for those uh, below him. So Hugh Jackman. All right, Nick, how are you feeling? Are you, are you a fan of the, the Red Dead games, and how do you feel about this adaptation? Yeah, um, so I the only reason I um, the only reason I didn't love the Red Dead games is just because it's too much for me. It's too, it's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Western um, to uh, to explore, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be an awesome uh, TV show. Um, I mean, it's kind of I mean his another shot at there will be blood which was awesome um so it's uh paul thomas anderson making another western movie which is awesome um hugh jackman being the lead character instead of daniel day lewis um i think that's amazing as well um i think if you were like on hbo or something and had the money behind it and had some gravitas to this i think it would be a really really good uh good show maybe a better version of uh yellowstone uh, i believe that's what it's called on paramount plus that um Every middle-aged white guy is like all into, but like this could be better. So that would be like that. That would be amazing. Exactly. I, um, I definitely should have said it would definitely be on HBO Max. Yeah, Kyle, your mm. thoughts? I should just clarify: every middle-aged white man and famously friend of the pod, Hannah, is a huge Yellowstone fan. Everyone ask her about it. Um, yeah, it, this is. So I was actually trying to remember, Damon told us, I think yesterday or the day before, that he was going to be doing Red Dead Redemption 2. This might get me canceled by video game fans. I don't know if, if I've ever finished the game. Um, I know I've played it. And I know that when, like, because it goes through, like, waves of popularity. And I think that the last time it was really big, I, I tried to sit down and play the full thing. I don't think I've ever gotten through it. Um, I love the first game, and I, I like Red Dead Revolver okay. Um, and there's just something about the other game. I think I'm with Nick. It's just there's sometimes I like open world games and other times it just feels a little like too much and like overwhelming. Um, but so that that's why this is a great pick, because I would I think I, sometimes I would just much rather sit back and watch it. Um, and as a series, obviously, it works so much better. You know, I don't know if you're doing like multiple seasons or if it's just like a mini series, but as this big budget HBO series. Yeah, it, it works really well. Um, we love Hugh Jackman. This is a pro Hugh Jackman podcast here. <laughs> so he's a great pick. Um, video game movie uh, aficionados or fans or whatever will cringe at the name Paul Anderson, not Paul Thomas, because of the guy who made the Resident Evil movies. Um, but I'm glad you're going with the superior <laughs> Paul Anderson. Him doing TV is a first, and I, th I think Hugh Jackman has also never done TV. So... That's yeah, it's exciting. I love it. I mean, it's the best time to do it. Everyone's jumping into the television format right now. Might as well, you know, why not? And also, yes, this is going to be like I said, this will be the first uh, season. 
And if, as you know, Red Dead Redemption 1 is technically happens after this, and it follows the next character I'll talk about. So season two will be a time jump and everything. It'll, it'll just kind of follow chronologically their stories. I love that. That's, yeah, we are getting off to a, a great start. So you, we've got, um, we've got the burger sneak made by Bloomhouse and uh, Lord Miller. And then we've got HBO giving us uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Red Dead Redemption starring, or sorry, just Red Dead, right? Um, Red Dead starring Hugh Jackman. That's I, right. This is a great start. Um, before we get to my pick, we're going to go to our first quick break. Hey everyone, and we're back, and we are to Kyle, who's going to tell us about his dream video game adaptation. Kyle, tell us that title. All right, so I, yeah, I weighed a couple options for the uh, for this draft. I mean, there's a lot of one, I mean, when you look up, like, most video games that need adaptations, Red Dead is up there, um, people still want a Tetris movie for some reason. There's one that I think has been in development hell for a really long time. JJ um, Abrams' company Bad Robot is attached to it. I think for right now it's kind of dead in the water, but I still really want to see a movie adaptation, and that is the the game series Portal. Um, so if you're unfamiliar, basically there are two games, Portal and Portal Two. Um, the first one follows you play a protagonist named Shell, who you never see, and she doesn't speak. It's very similar to Half Life. Um, you only see her in like mirrors and stuff because it's first person. Um, basically, you are stuck in this uh laboratory called aperture laboratories um in which you are kind of doing performing tests for scientists and it very quickly becomes a survival game because the ai that is testing you her name is gladys it's it's like a 2001 situation she she goes bad and basically starts putting you through these death traps you find a portal gun um, one of my favorite like weapons in all of video games <laughs> and you, you have to go through basically the whole game is a puzzle game as well as the second one they have some really cool story to them but they're basically puzzle games where you're trying to get your way out and and solve these puzzles and portal your way out of these death traps um, and then the second one kind of expands the story you uh gladys kind of helps you out because there's another ai that's gone bad um what I want to do with the movie adaptation is kind of explore how Aperture got to where it's at. Um, but I also want to keep Shell. So I'm kind of cheating here. Not really cheating, but I'm playing with the rules a little bit. So the movie's going to be Portal. Um, I don't have a studio in mind, but I, Neon is kind of on fire right now. They've made some really great movies. Um, I'm going to have it be directed, written and directed by Alex Garland, who is, of course, no stranger to uh, the sci-fi genre. You know, he made Ex Machina and Annihilation, he has a movie out called Men right now. Um, great, great director. Uh, yeah, so basically, I want to make this movie essentially as a sequel to the two games, but also to exploring as a prequel the beginnings of Aperture Laboratories. Um, so essentially, the story is that Shell who I guess my first pick is is Shell, our main character. Um, I think it works for the games that she's a silent protagonist, but I think obviously for a movie, I mean, we all saw Hardcore Henry, like doesn't really work that well for a movie. So I, uh, I'm i casting Anna de Armas. Um, and once again, having her be silent is just a sin in a movie. So of course she's gonna speak and have dialogue and be uh, you know, the charming Anna de Armas that we all know. Um, so basically her shell is gonna be safe away from aperture kind of living her life 
Um, she gets contacted by Gladys, who she thought was gone, um, basically called back because, again, if you've played Portal 2, at the end of it, they kind of form an uneasy alliance to stop Wheatley. Um, so they've kind of moved past things toward the end of that game. She's called back to Aperture to help Gladys out, um, back to do the same things. She opens up a portal with a new gun that she finds, steps through the portal, and ends up in Aperture in the 50s. Um, yeah, we're doing time travel because I'm a lazy piece of shit. Uh, and I really want to see Aperture at its peak or, you know, its height. Um, so Shell basically ends up in Aperture Laboratories in the 50s, meets a whole cast of characters, including, you know, Caroline, who obviously would eventually become the inspiration for the AI that is Gladys. Bunch of different characters who you hear kind of in backstory in the games. Um, it's my way of kind of exploring the prequel of like how these games came to be while also still getting some action in there and adventure. Um, she's going to be traveling through portals to different uh, specific moments in time for this lab, but also like revisiting some favorite things from the games. Of course, there will be plenty of like mindfuck moments with these portals and puzzles to figure out. Um, I've always thought it's difficult to translate puzzle games to movies because it's, you know, like with the Tomb Raider games, it's more fun to just play it and figure it out yourself. And it's difficult to translate how fun that is to the screen. Um, so I would think that would be a fun challenge for Alex Garland to take on to make it as like interactive as possible to where, you know, Shell is really having difficulty with the specific puzzle and we can see, it's almost like an episode of Dora the Explorer, right? Like we can see what's going on and we really want her to pick the right thing. And then maybe Gladys gives her a hint or whatever. Um, but yeah, basically the story is her trying to figure out what happened in Aperture to cause things to go wrong um, and kind of going in between different time periods. Um, and yeah, my first pick is Anna de Armas. She's on fire. I mean, she's uh, the best part of like everything she's in, whether it's Knives Out or No Time to Die. She's got a bright future. I can't wait to see her in, uh, what is it? I think it's Ghosted with Chris Evans. They just wrapped. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really hyped for that, and I I would love to see her play Shell. I I love that Kyle. Um, I have never played Portal, so learning about it from this I feel like would be a really great entry point. While it's a sequel as well as a prequel to the series, um, I feel like that that'd be a really great way for anyone who hasn't played to jump in and give them an idea of what it's about. Um, question. Is this going to be, it, it sounds like it could be on the kind of horror scale or at least thriller side genre. Would it be kind of leaning into that or would it just be a little bit more just like Garland sci-fi flavor? Yeah, I think, well, actually, I think Garland does that really well. He walks the line between sci-fi and horror. I'm specifically thinking of, like, the vibe of Ex Machina, where, like, paranoia is going to play a big factor. Like, she, it's mostly going to be a sci-fi kind of thriller with some moments of genuine, like, scary moments, because a lot of, like, really seedy corruption happens at Aperture, and I think that, especially when she meets Caroline and her relationship with the staff and Aperture Laboratories, I think that's where you bring in the psychological like horror elements. I, I love that. I, I think I would really enjoy this. Uh, the the combo of Garland and then Anna de Armas in the lead role, who, like you said, she's kind of on fire right now. I think one of the most um, people in demand as far as actresses right now, and I, I can't wait to see her in more stuff. Um, as just the fact that I don't really know anything about this, I, I 
kind of really am excited about seeing this just kind of tells you it's it's not about the concept of the game or this movie it's just going to be the the execution i mean you can put if you put together the right cast and the right story and the right director it's going to be be good i can't wait to see uh, who else you put in this is the mo uh the most the rest of your cast going to be the people in the past yeah, it'll be a mix. Like, obviously, Gladys is going to be in there, and then basically, like, either scientists or people who, like, higher up people, corporate people who work at Aperture Laboratories. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Nick, your thoughts? Yeah, I actually really love, um, you said it was lazy to do time travel, which, first off, uh, if there wasn't Echoes, I would have made a joke about getting a whiteboard ready, but, you know, that's that's end game joke. I just had to get that out there. Um but no, I actually really love the concept of um, introducing new people to something that's old by taking them back in time and changing the timeline, um, a la 09 Star Trek, which is one of my favorite movies, um, where you're essentially you you know the story, you know the people, but then you're going to go see a different version of this, or maybe the events can be changed and it can be a different timeline. And, and you're essentially you can teach people who have never um, who've never played portal or anything you can basically teach them what happened by um context clues and just basically um by going into the past you can show them exactly what's going to happen um but people who have seen it you can see a an alternate version you can get more in depth into the uh into whatever's going on with this shady organization um which there's always a shady organization in sci-fi movies it seems like um but yeah no i actually really like that concept you said it was lazy i disagree with that I agree. Time travel is always the best. All right. Awesome. I'm glad so y'all are on board. Um, should I go ahead with my second pick? Hell yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, if it's a portal movie, um, I think the selling point, a lot of people have, I mean, the big thing about who plays is about who plays Gladys. Like, so again, David, I know you haven't played the games, but Gladys is really one of the best parts of both games. In the first one, as this just really sinister AI, she has like this really sweet uh, voice. It's basically Umbridge as an AI. Like, she has this really sweet voice, but is putting you through death traps. <laughs> and then in the second game, she takes on a really cool, interesting role because she starts out as the same Gladys and you're really mistrusting of her. And then she's like literally forced to help you because she she is also in danger by the other AI. Um, so it's a very daunting thing to cast her. Like the voice is everything, but you also need... So this is basically playing two roles, both Gladys in the present and then once we get back to the 50s, um, there is a character named Caroline who was essentially the assistant of uh, a man named Cave Johnson, who was the uh, CEO or like uh, the boss at Aperture Laboratories. Um, Caroline eventually gave or gave her voice and gave some of her personality to the AI that would become Gladys. So she, she's kind of one of the same with Gladys and Caroline. So to play both of those roles, I'm going to cast an actress who I think she shows up in things and I... Again, like Anna de Armas, she's usually my favorite part of that movie. And then I'll like, I won't forget about her, but then I just don't see her in anything for a while. And then she'll show up again and I'll be surprised and be like, oh yeah, it's Rose Byrne. Like, so I'm, I'm going to cast Rose Byrne as both Gladys and Caroline. Um, you know, if you're unfamiliar, Rose Byrne is in the Insidious movies. She is, she plays Moira, Moira McTaggart in the X-Men prequel movies. 
Um, she kind of pop, like I said, pops up all over. She's in Bridesmaids, really funny role in that movie. Um, I love her. I think she's a really fun actress. I think that sometimes actors and actresses have specific vibes to them to where they, it seems natural for them to be in period pieces, whether they are fifties or like other time periods. And Rose Byrne just has, she, I don't, other than the X-Men movies, it's not like she's made, made a name out of starring in like throwback movies, but I think she just works really well for those types of movies. Um, and that's kind of the vibe I'm going with here, both in voicing Gladys and then yeah, playing Caroline, um, you know, the, the games didn't really, I don't fault the games for this because they didn't have time to really give her a more fleshed out character arc. Um, because the game, essentially when you're playing portal Two, the extent of what you hear of, uh, Caroline's backstory is through recordings as you're going through this laboratory. So you don't get much. So I want this, I want this movie to flesh out Caroline as a character. Like, I want to know why she is working for aperture. I want to know like how close she is with Cave Johnson. Like what, what is her commitment to the, the laboratory? And then once shell comes into the picture and is also in, in the past, I want it to be kind of a Caroline is trying to put up a front and be like, everything's fine. And like, like Nick said, every sci-fi movie has a shady corporation. And after a while, the cracks start to show with Caroline and shell gets her to trust her. And finally you see some real paranoia and she starts to tell like, I don't think, I don't think, this is above board. I think there's some really shady things going on here. You need to help me like expose this corporation. Um, and I think Rose Byrne would play that really, really well. And I think we would get some really fun, uh, a double role by Rose Byrne and her doing that as Caroline, but also her as Gladys kind of intercutting in these moments where Gladys is also in the picture. Because if you, if you played the games, you know, Gladys is yeah this sinister AI. So you're wondering if you can trust Caroline, you're wondering where Gladys is during these scenes. It would be really fun. I think it'd be a really cool exercise and challenge for Rose Byrne. And, you know, we've seen as recently as with Moon Knight, like when an actor plays double roles or triple roles or whatever, when they do it right, it's phenomenal. So I think that Rose Byrne would be a great pick for that. And I just, I'm curious about before I get to my other casting choices later, I'm just curious about the relationship between Shell and Caroline and like the way that Caroline starts to like trust her and want her to help her like expose this shady corporation. Yeah, Nick, uh, your thoughts. Do you think that's a good casting choice for Gladys? Yeah, um, I think that, um, I th I think that she can definitely play the um, unassuming uh, person next to the big bad CEO, and then we'll figure out if um, if she's big and bad, if she's good, if she's not. Um, I guess my one question, uh, I don't know, so I, I didn't play the games. What is Aperture actually doing? Like, what's their, like, what are, what are they supposed to be doing? Like, are they supposed to be, like, saving the world or something? Are they supposed to be space travel? What's their, like, what are they doing? And is Shell a different company that's competing with them? Or is that the second AI? I'm, I just don't know the game, so. Okay, yeah, so uh, so Shell is, is is the main character. So in the game, it's, like, C-H-E-L or something like that. So she is, like, uh, a, basically, she's, like, a guinea pig in the game. She's just a, an avatar through which you play the games. But she's just a human. Um, and then uh, Aperture basically... Their mission statement, obviously, this is not the case when you find out in the game, but they are, it's in like this weird futuristic setting that you don't know much about outside of the lab. They're basically trying to uh, 
research and figure out how to uh, advance travel. Like that's what the point of the portal guns are. Eventually there's other stuff that comes up in the game with like, um, it's all about travel, about getting people to different places faster. So that like they, they put it that front as a very innocent corporation. Um, and then you learn about like the methods in which they're doing this and like portals are like fucking up. Like whenever someone goes to a portal, it basically fucks up their insides and they're getting, that's how, spoiler, I guess, I'm sorry, you both haven't played the game, but that's how King Johnson eventually dies is that he's been using portals for so long that he eventually gets this horrible illness and, and it dies so uh yes yeah, so basically they're, they're preventing themselves of this as this really innocent corporation who's just trying to help with travel obviously we don't have anything in real life to mirror that to at all um but SpaceX. <laughs> I, I think that yeah exactly <laughs> um so i think it would be really fun to see that as well it's a great time for a story like that obviously it's not a new story but i would love to see that angle played up and then yeah i'm a sucker for for shady corporations and sci-fi movies Got it. I just figured uh, that was good to clear up because um, I didn't know what their actual goal was. So they're just bad travel agents, essentially. Exactly. <laughs> so yes, uh, that's a very oversimplification of it, but yes, uh, <laughs> I, I like this. I mean, I am a big Rose Byrne fan. I think she's very talented, and to be able to see her pulled, you know, double duty in this series, this movie, would be really cool. Um, I, you know, of course, the thing I've heard about Portal is Gladys. That's the only thing I ever really knew. Um, and so I, I pretty much, you know, heard the the plot points. It's bad, and then it eventually kind of reluctant uh, protagonist, you know, kind of helps. Um, that, you always like to see that kind of reluctant, like, redemption story, you know, like having to help the good guys. Um, and then to be able to see it go even further into the past and seeing kind of the – and she's the inspiration – for Gladys is what you said, correct? Kyle? Yes. Yeah. So Caroline is basically um, when Aperture is at its height. Like, so I said, I should, I should clarify during the first two portal games, Aperture is kind of a done thing. Like they're just on their last legs. But yeah, during their height in like the 50s, she is uh, Cave Johnson's assistant. And eventually when he passes away, he asks her to like take over the company and also give like her personality and her voice to this AI that will oversee the company, which becomes Gladys. Gotcha. Okay. That that's really cool. So to be able to see this person who this AI was based off of and to see the the person and the personality behind that and to see Shell meet her is a really cool idea and concept really meta really really cool sci- uh, sci-fi concept and i think garland would be perfect for that um I, I only wish it would be a series just because i would want like as much detail and attention to it but i think garland makes movies best so i think that's the right call um yeah, i really like that kyle any other thoughts you wanted to say about uh gladys in this movie uh yeah, I just think that it would be that would be the most fun. And Nick put it really well in my last like draft pick. Like, it, it, I think the goal would be for the movie to be able to tell like an alternate story to what you know from the game, so that if if you are a fan of the games, there's enough there that satisfies your desire to see things brought to the like the live action screen. And when you see Roseburn first show up, 
you don't like that's she did not provide the voice for Gladys in the games, so you wouldn't immediately connect that. And I think it would be a really cool moment in the audience when you put two and two together and you're like, oh, shit, that's Gladys, because immediately your alarms would go up and think that she's going to be the villain. And so I think that once they play with that, you don't know which which side she's playing the entire movie. That would be a lot of fun. Um, and then if you're new to it, like, you know, if you've never played the games before, I think it works just as well either way, because I think Rose Byrne just is a talented actress in general, and she could play that morally gray really well. And then I think the meat of the story would be the paranoia behind kind of the unsavory methods that Aperture practices. One of the side stories, too, in the games is that, like, in the 70s, they went to court a ton of times because they were involved with the disappearance of a lot of astronauts. And it turned out that that was what was happening was that they were trying to test these travel methods. Astronauts were going through portals and never coming back. Um, so I think you could bring some of that into the uh, the movie as well, but mostly it's just about kind of her bringing Shell in and getting her to help her uncover the truth behind Aperture. I really like that. I really dig that. I can't wait to see who, how else you tied in together with the other cast. Um, but all right, I, I like it. We're going to dive back right to my second pick. Um, we are back to Red Dead. And I am going to be talking about the next character, John Marston. Um, John Marston is, of course, also the leading character of Red Dead Redemption 1. Um, but in this, he is a he is a hot-headed fuck-up. He is a young kid who just really doesn't understand what he, he should be doing in life. Uh, an orphan at eight, he was almost hanged at uh, the age of 12 for stealing uh, when Dutch found him and saved him. Uh, he raised him as his own, like he does with everyone in the gang. And from there, he became one of the most skilled gunslingers around. Uh, he's he runs gun he runs point on most of their uh, heists and robberies, and he's valuable to them. But he also just doesn't he never knows when to quit. He just really makes bad decisions, and he's just he just doesn't know where to go in life. And thankfully, in this crossroads, uh, Arthur Morgan is there to start really kind of helping him piece together what what they need to do to really make a life. Um, and so when we first meet John Marston, after this ferry heist goes wrong, he is sent to go scout the area to make sure that no one is, is following them. Uh, what ends up happening is, of course, he is left for dead, stranded after being attacked by wolves, uh, in the snowy mountains. Uh, thankfully, Arthur and friends, uh, are able to rescue him. Uh, we eventually are able to get him to help him with their first, uh, train heist which i'm figuring would be like episode two would be like the big scene of that um eventually he gets arrested when a bank robbery goes wrong um not to mention throughout this he's trying to figure out how to make it right with his the love of his life abigail roberts uh who he has a child with jack um and so he's just he's really just trying to do right by them but he continuously just continuously fucks up um and we see it all but he he's trying and so to play this role i went with logan lerman of percy jackson fame of a uh, person being a wallflower uh he was most recently in the in the series hunters in and i think this might be a little out of left field a lot of people would go a little bit maybe a little bit more around rough around the edges someone a little older maybe um, supposedly in Red Dead 2, 
John Marston's supposed to be 26. He looks like he's 40 in the game, but he's he's 26. So I want a little younger, and I, I think Logan Lerman has the range and the uh, the emotional capabilities to make John Marston a really complex character that he, he is. Like he he's this fuck up, but he he's you know that's all he's ever known in his life. Being raised by Dutch, it's just he's really good at it too, but. He, he really wants to do right by his family and and become that man. And so I, I think Logan Lerman would be be really fun. It'd be different. I, I, I have not seen anyone cast him as John online. So maybe maybe not the best, the most popular pick. But I think it'd be a very fun pick. So, so Nick, what do you think? Well, um, so when Googling Logan Lerman um, to see what it looks like now, because I only remember him from Perks of the Wallflower. It's probably the last thing I remember seeing him in. I was like, man, he is super young and super clean cut. Then I saw this picture. I'll show it to the guys on the pod here. Um, It is him with uh, some shaggy hair, and you can't see it because the phone's too bright, uh, with uh, some facial hair. And you just pop a cowboy hat on there, and he looks like a guy in the Old West. So I actually think he looks the part. Um, the only thing is, does he have the wild card fuck up acting ability? You know, the, um, hot shot, uh, Poe Dameron style. And if he does, I think that's an awesome casting because, uh, I don't think I'd have said this 10 seconds ago, but he definitely looks the part. So, uh, so yeah, it's just a matter of if he can play the, the Poe Dameron gunslinger, I guess. Yeah. That picture really helped sell me on the idea because, I thought about him and was like, I don't know, he is a little too clean cut. But when you really see how much he can, how much he looks the part, when he grows out the beard a little bit, gets a little shaggy, like you said, throw the cowboy hat on, and I, I think it works. Uh, Kyle, do you like this uh, casting choice? I do, yeah. There is, there's like almost nothing more that I enjoy than when an actor plays against type and kind of like, does away with like the typecasting and i i do really like logan lerman um perks of being wallflower is like one of my favorite movies and i think he's fantastic in that um i don't fault him for the percy jackson movies i think he shouldn't have been cast but he did what he could with the you know what he was given um so i like i like him a lot and like you you both are saying like without seeing that picture you would think oh i have a very specific image of logan lerman i mean he was Back in the day before we had Tom Holland, I think he was even a big popular choice to play Spider-Man in the MCU. Like, he has that very young kind of energetic energy to him. I don't know why I just said energetic energy, but, like, that that youthful energy to him. Um, so it doesn't scream, uh, like, this rough-and-tumble, hot-shot cowboy, which I think maybe makes him the best choice, <laughs> especially if you do, like, an HBO series like this, because then he shows up, and there's probably... I can picture this because this is how we are as a culture work. Like when there's a TV show, there's always tons of thought, thoughts, speculation after each episode. So if this is like a weekly series, you know, episode one, maybe he shows up towards the end of the series. I mean, uh, at end of the episode, everyone is like, nope, I don't like it. Logan Lerman's not a good pick to pay, uh, play this character. And then maybe episode two, he shows up. We have a great scene with him and Hugh Jackman. And then everyone changes their tune. I feel like he could end up being the MVP of the season. Um, yeah, I, I love Logan Lerman, and I, I think this would be. I know we're all doing hypotheticals here. Like, I wish they could, these could all be made, but I think if this were an actual thing that was made, this would be a great way to like not give him a a, a, a turning point in his career because I don't think he needs that. Like, I think he's a great actor already, but I think it would give him a new a chance to like reinvent himself a little bit and show that he does have a lot of range and he can play different types of of characters. So 
It's a great call. I like it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, like like I said, it, it, there's no reason why actors can't do these roles just because they haven't. Like they are actors. They 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 train for this. I mean, I feel like if they're given the the right the right script and the right motivation, you know, the right tools, they'll they'll do great. I think Logan Lerman in this role with Paul Thomas Anderson directing it, I, I can just see him and Hugh Jackman having these like these long discussions on on horseback, you know, riding down the, the mountain. Uh and just talking about when they get back uh, how how things need to change and how, you know, John just needs to stop fucking up. He needs to take care of Ab- Abigail and Jack. And just like the look on on John's face and just like how he he's like re- so resentful of it and just and everything. I, I think it it worked really well. So I'm I'm glad y'all like it. Um that's my pick. And uh, let's move on to Nick. But before we do, let's take another quick break. All right. Welcome back from break. We just got uh, Dan's second casting choice in Red Dead with uh, Logan Lerman playing the role of John Marston. We're moving back to Nick, who is joining Jim Carrey in the Blumhouse Horror Burger Sneak. All right. So, yeah, you just recapped it. Uh, so I was going to do um, Jim Carrey is the Burger King. Um, so... Obviously, we're going for black comedy here, um, some satire. Um, so we need people that are funny. Um, and I think somebody that's really funny right now is Pete Davidson. Um, I think that he is going to be amazing in this movie. Um, he, I don't really have names for the characters because they're kind of just throwaway um, young 20s in horror movies. Um, so we'll just call him Pete uh, just for the sake of ease. Um, Pete is actually the only character that doesn't work at the Burger King. He just happened to show up, um, and was ordering some Burger King, stoned as hell, as Pete Davidson would be. Um, and he hears them talking about that they want to go up to this, uh, this castle on the hill, um, that everyone talks about. And so Pete Davidson is going to be our harbinger, um, doing a little subversion of expectations, usually an old, 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 old man, um, giving the harbinger of death, but it's going to be Pete. Pete's going to be like, oh, no, man, you can't go up there. There's a lot of, a lot of people dying. You, can't, you just can't do this. You can't do this um, in a way that I can't do Pete Davidson because he's so fucking himself. Um, and everyone, they're going to be like, oh, no, we're still going to go. And he's like, well, good luck to you. And they're like, hey, man, we got some weed. And then all of a sudden, Pete Davidson's going to want to come up and, uh, and join the party because, you know, that's just the way that this movie's going to go. Um, so he's kind of he's kind of going to be um, kind of the straight man, if you will. Um, he's going to be just stoned the whole time, just watching what's happening um, and just commenting on it, like how absurd it all is that Jim Carrey uh, the, or the guy with the big, uh, big Burger King head is chasing everyone around. Um, I have a really good vision in my head of a moment where um, Pete Davidson's talking to everyone and he's like, listen, guys, this isn't really happening. This isn't this isn't a thing, man. We're just we're just too much too much drugs, too much drugs going on. This isn't happening. While in the background, uh, the Burger King is trying to swipe him with a with a knife, and uh, he just accidentally keeps turning in the right direction. So like the Burger King swings, and Pete just like he points up to something. He's like, look up there, look at this, and the Burger King misses, and all the people behind him are are freaking out because the Burger King's there, and they're like, he's like, what are you freaking out about, guys? And then he like steps to the side, and the Burger King trips, but Pete Davidson's too stoned to notice that. Oh, he he knocked over the Burger King, and then everyone runs around. Uh, turns around and runs away and Pete Davidson's doing like a 360 looking around trying to figure out where everyone went where the Burger King's just laying on the ground 
um, trying to stab him, but he doesn't know because he's Pete Davidson and he's stoned out of his mind. Um, so that's kind of the uh, kind of the vibe I'm going for with with him. Um, we're doing a lot of s- trying to subvert the '80s expectations of um, what characters should be in horror movies. So Pete is going to be your straight man, if you will, but he's going to be so stoned that he uh, doesn't know what he's saying. So there you go. I am here for Stone Pete. Um, as a stoner, I think every movie should have a stoner. Um, and I think Pete in this role would be just great as a straight man, as that, you know, the fact that he is high the whole time and is just really trying to help in his own in his own special way, I think would be hilarious. Pete, Pete has a very peculiar type of humor. I think that would work really well with Lord and Miller. Um, another thing, I think... This, if this were to perform, to to work out really well, I need another movie after this about them uh, parodying McDonald's. Okay, I, I need them to just hit hit all the restaurants up after this. Um, Pete and Jim Carrey on the same screen, I think, would just be really fun for some reason. I think they'd have a lot of fun together. And, and yeah, Pete and more movies. He is now done with SNL as of yesterday. And so he's got plenty of time. So if he could just be like the straight stoner in every movie going forward, I'd, I'd be cool with that. So, Kyle, uh, do you like Pete in this movie? I do. I So it's weird. Pete Davidson is someone I go back and forth on a whole lot, even when it was just SNL. Like sometimes he would come on to Weekend Update and it would be my favorite thing of the entire night. And sometimes it would just be like, oh my God, Pete's talking about the same thing over and over again. And I think the problem is I've never had an issue with Pete himself. I think he's just given maybe, I mean, I know he writes some of his own material, but like I think SNL given some material that just didn't work or like in movies, he is just not given enough to really shine sometimes. Um, I do really love him in uh, the Suicide Squad, obviously. And that's like a very small role, but I think he's great in that. Um, I so I think this would be the thing like that would like I wouldn't say sell me on Pete because I'm sold like I do like the guy a lot but I this would be the thing that I would just love him in and you know for all of my fellow like horror fans I love Nick this is awesome I love that you're subverting the so on like the Ralph in Friday the 13th who is like the old man in the very first Friday the 13th when they get to Camp Crystal Lake tells them like go away, this is not a good idea, you're going to get killed, and then he shows up dead halfway through the movie in one of the cabins. So the idea of, one, bringing in a younger guy, and then two, him just being around the entire time and being like, you guys are idiots, like, what are you doing? And also being, I love the image you drew of, like, him, like, dodging, unknowingly dodging attacks by the king is incredible. Um, Yeah, this is absurd and just my favorite thing ever, and the idea of it being a Blumhouse black comedy is so good um i think this could do absolute numbers at the box office too blumhouse has been killing it with um like horror comedies recently and so i think that there's like a definitely a market for it and then yeah seeing him play off of jim carrey and your other cast members is just uh, it's like a dream venture like this is this is so fun and i'm so here for it yeah and also he did just do like a horror satire already um bodies 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 or like this is not a safe space so um i oh, really want yeah, to forget about that and also one more thing nick do you think you messed up when you did not cast him as chad 
Yeah, so um, I didn't even think about um, character names, but that's totally a good name. Well, he actually, I don't think he would be a a, a Chad, if you will. Um, I'm not sure if you're referencing a, per, a certain Pete Davidson character, but um, but he wouldn't be the Chad of the group. There's uh, usually like a um, douchey like douchey bro, and I don't think Pete fills that, unless I'm missing a character that Pete plays that time. <laughs> that, that that was his character. Yeah. yeah. That was his recurring sketch in uh, on SNL. Okay. Oh, my bad. Yeah, Chad. I, I, I love it, but I also love that he's just Pete. <laughs> Same. He's just like Pete. He's just pretty much playing himself in the role. I, I dig that, too. Um, I'm ready for the next pick, man. You ready? I'm ready for it, too. Let's do it. Um, so my next one, it's probably not the second most important or third most important character, but it's a really good actor, and I want to steal it off the board before anyone else does. Um, we're going to have Donald Glover be in this. Um, so Donald Glover is basically going to play Troy um, from Community. Um, he is going to be our hysterical. He, um, We're not going to do a woman being hysterical. That's kind of the point of the movie. We're not going to do the things that everyone's done before. Um, he's just going to be freaking the fuck out all the time. He's going to be the one that the table leg moves when someone bumps into it and he's jumping into somebody else's arms. Um, whose arms those are? I don't know. Got to figure that out. Um, but he's going to be the guy that's just, oh my gosh, he's going to be, he's going to have the inhaler. He's, I mean, I tried to have an inhaler, but you know what I mean? He's going to be that character. Um, and besides that running bit, um, this movie is just a bunch of running gags until almost everyone dies and then we have our survivors and stuff. But in addition to his running gag of being the hysterical one, um, he is also, we're going to subvert the person of color dying first. He's going to disappear frequently throughout the movie. And everyone's going to think he's dead, and then he's just going to pop up. And he's going to be, like, alive, and he was just, I don't know, in the bathroom. Or he was, you know, scoping out the basement and stuff. And we're going to have other people point out how racist it is that, like, Pete thought he was dead. What, the black guy's got to die first? We're going to point out that to, um, we're going to have somebody point that out. Um, and it's going to, Donald Glover's just going to be like, what, you thought it was dead? Oh my gosh, this is, it's just going to be a running bit of him popping back up out of nowhere. Um, and it's like, oh my gosh, he's gone. We can't find him anywhere. And then it's just like, ah, yeah, I was just, I was just over here, guys. What are you, what are, why are you guys freaking out? What's, what's the big deal here? Um, and I think that it's just going to be hilarious. And I think it's going to be, I think I'm going to, I would laugh every time they did it. And I don't think you could overuse that bit, honestly. Um, but yeah, so that's what I got. I, I love that Donald Glover. We are a pro Donald Glover podcast. We are a pro uh, Troy Barnes podcast. And so to see him back in that that role where he's just can be very out there, just hysterical, super scared, and just very over the top, very extra. Donald Glover is perfect at that. Um, him and Pete Davidson and Jim Carrey is just a whole lot of hilarity. And I could see maybe Donald Glover is not the, the biggest improv person, but I could see there being a lot of just random outtakes happening and, and just a lot of fun on that on that uh, set. I, I did not see Donald Glover happening, but I'm so glad you picked Donald Glover. Um, thankfully, I did not cast him in mine. Kyle, was that a still? Any chance? We all know I love Donald. Uh, it was not a steal, so it's almost I'm almost happier now because, like, I'm sad anytime I can't fit him in on a van cast, so I'm so happy that he still got cast on someone else's project. Um, 
Yeah, like David said, we are we are like he is practically the patron saint of this podcast at points. Um, I disagree though with the improv thing. I think he does like I think community honestly. The the more they trusted him, the more he just made up lines on that show. Like I, the bloopers from that show is just him imp- like basically being Kramer from Seinfeld and the cast reacting. Um, so I think that between him and Jim Carrey. God, like the one-liners would be well. I guess Jim Carrey isn't really playing a very vocal character in this, but it, Donald Glover like just going back and forth with Pete and I, I, yeah, I I love the idea also of just him being Troy Barnes like from Community because we all love our himbo king, um, <clears throat> jumping into someone's arms and then Nick, you're right, like you actually can't. There's some bits in movies that we think have legs, and then after a while, it's like, all right, this is not funny anymore. I genuinely think every time someone thinks he's dead and he just comes out of the bathroom, I would laugh hysterically. Like, that's so funny to me, and especially them pointing at, like, being very meta about it and pointing out how racist it is and getting more hysterical about it each time. I just think that that would be hilarious and... uh yeah, I just think that we need this movie like tomorrow. I would go see this tomorrow if I could. This is so good. Yeah, I haven't really said it. Like Lord and Miller, two of my absolute favorite creatives in the industry. Like I will watch anything they do, um, like without a doubt. And this, like Kyle said, I really would watch this yesterday. I, this would be possibly one of my favorite things ever made if done right. And of course, it is Lord and Miller. And I'm sure they'd be like, Glover, you want to look over this this script and, and like do some rewrites? Like they'd probably be down with them doing that. I just I love all the combos you've got going on so far, Nick. Um, I love the subverting the tropes and everything. Does anyone survive? Or are you going to let us know at the at the end of the draft? Um. So I'm I'm still trying to figure out if anyone survives or um, and go from there. Um, I feel like. We only have four. Uh, we only have uh, four characters, including the murderer. Um, I think my biggest recur- one, one another recurring bit is I kind of just want famous people to show up and then die. So like our four main characters that I've cast are kind of alive the whole time. But like, I don't know. I'm not casting, but just like say Ryan Reynolds shows up and he's the cop. You know, the stereotypical cop. And him and I don't know. Um, somebody else I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head um just show up and they're the they're the cops and they're like oh you got like the kind of you kids are crazy what's going on and then like you know famous ryan Reynolds shows up and then he just gets his head hacked off like immediately just steps out of the car head hacked off you know and it's like oh we we paid two million dollars for this cameo for to just to waste it just to just to kill him i i think that's like a funny bit to like oh, we're going to get this really, really famous person. Brad Pitt shows up and then he's dead. Kind of like, um, I, y'all are going to kill me. And Deadpool 2, um, somebody shows up really famous and then just dies. Is it Brad Pitt? It might be Brad Pitt. It was Brad um, Pitt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like just just people just showing up and playing the horror characters around these around our four main characters just getting killed. Like Maybe our main characters don't ever get killed and it's just the people around them. And uh, and it's just like random people around them. So I don't know, just something like that. I don't know who lives and who dies. Um, it's like I said, this is basically just an SNL bit, um, just over and over again. And then people, there there will be there is blood. So I feel like the murder has to happen for it to make the movie work. It just I don't know that I want to kill off my main characters. Gotcha, makes sense. The the real new age scary movie, possibly if done right. 
um, I'm excited. Um, well, I guess let's move on to my next pick, my third pick then. Uh, we are back to Red Dead. Um, I've casted the first two. I had Arthur Morgan, the, the guy who's really trying to, to change his life up and, and make good on the promise of the gang of them trying to go legit. And, of course, as they're going trying to go legit, they continue to do these jobs in order to have enough money to go legit as it always happens and works in, in these kind of situations. And the man who is, of course, driving all of this is the leader of the Vanderlyn gang, Dutch Vanderlyn. This is a very, very charismatic man, a man who cares deeply about his gang because they are essentially his family. As I said before, he he's pretty much helped raise uh, Arthur at a young age. He saved John's life before he raised him multiple other members of the gang that I won't be able to cast because we can't do a five-hour podcast. Um, but there's there's multiple members like Javier Escuela. There's Hosea, who's pretty much his right-hand man, and has been there with him through thick and thin. Um, Dutch is, is a bit of a seedy character, of course, but, you know, the, he is the leader of this gang, but he is so good at what he does. He he, he motivates when needed. He, he gives the best pep talks. He knows exactly... Uh, what to do when they're in some tight uh, situations. He's always gotten them out safe, you know, for the most part. Of course, in the uh, fairy heist that went wrong, they did lose several members. And then if, as the series begins and uh, they're trying to start anew, the cracks slowly begin to show for Dutch. He is still this very charismatic leader, but he's starting to, to lose it a little bit. He's starting to become a little unhinged. Um, he's not really sure what to, to do. He he says he wants to go legit, but as the series goes on, uh, we see this divide between the gang, and he's clearly on the side that does not want to stop. He just wants to do what he's always done in life. And um, who better than to play the leader of a very big gang, someone who can talk his ass off, someone who just choose scenery jeffrey dean morgan our guy from from supernatural mr winchester our guy of course from walking dead as negan maybe not everyone's favorite i personally love him as negan um and of course this would not be exactly that type of role it has some similar vibes but he'd be even more of a a quote-unquote good person uh, on the edges he's for all intents and purposes, a, a nice guy up until you cross them and up until they're doing the job. And I think just Jeffrey Dean Morgan would have such a fun time doing a Western like this, chewing it up with Hugh Jackman. Um, and eventually, as the series goes to the end, you're going to have them against each other. That's going to be pretty much one of the biggest showdowns of the series is the split and the fight of Arthur and Dutch. And I think just Jeffrey Dean Morgan would be able to do that. Just he would excel in this role, I think. So that, that's my cast. Uh, Kyle, do you like Jeffrey Dean Morgan for this? I do. This is really intriguing. Um, I So I, I watched Walking Dead like here and there up till he was introduced as Negan. The last episode that I consistently watched was his introduction, the one that like people freak the fuck out over um 
And it wasn't that I loved him as Negan. I thought he was great. But then as that season kept going, I was like, I was just checked out. I haven't watched The Walking Dead since then, but I hear he has definitely taken like his character has taken a lot of interesting turns. Um, I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is awesome. I think he even like make here you go, Nick. I'm not giving many of them out. I think he makes a great Thomas Wayne and Batman versus Superman. Um, and I would have been really intrigued to see to see his Thomas Wayne in like a Flashpoint movie, if that movie's even still happening. I, I don't think we're going to get him because we're getting like 15 other Batmans in that movie. Um, but he's a great actor. He's got a lot of gravitas and a lot of charisma, but in a really interesting way. Um, and so the idea of him playing Dutch and like the leader of this gang is really intriguing to me. And then him facing off with Hugh Jackman, I think that like, that's those are two like those are Emmy worthy like scenes right there where they're like just facing off whether it's like in these physical altercations or just them kind of like debating things and arguing and I think that that would be the crux of the show um and it's always fun to see that type of character right like a character who is a good leader and like cares about his people but does morally ambiguous things to achieve those goals like we love seeing that in shows you know so uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan would be a great pick for that. I think this is, would be his first TV role since um, Supernatural, so I'm definitely intrigued by that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great pick. Nick, what do you think? Do you think Jeffrey Dean Morgan would fit for this? Yeah, I actually um, I think it's all about the chemistry between him and um, I'm just going to say Wolverine. Um, I'm blanking right now. Um, so um, between him and Hugh Jackman, sorry. Um, so I think that they both play, they can both play that stoic rough man, but they, they play it with emotion, like they actually care. Um, and I think that's going to be, as Kyle said, the crux of the whole thing is that they both think that what they're doing is right and they both care for each other immensely. Um, they just can't follow each other anymore, a la Magneto, Professor X type thing. Um, and I think that's a, I think they're both really good characters to play because then you can get the, I don't know, some of our um, older um, Western-type actors um, just don't show emotion um, because men aren't supposed to or something like that, or I, I don't know. But like I feel like these two actors both do that very well, um, and I think that would be amazing to see on the uh, small screen. Thank, thank you, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I just think that's a pretty good cast so far, and everyone's doing a pretty damn good job. Uh, let's just move on along to Kyle. He gave us Anna DeArmas and Rose Byrne. Who's that third cast member? Yeah, so um, when you have uh, Aperture Laboratories, especially in its heyday, you need Cave Johnson. So yeah, like I mentioned, Cave Johnson is the um, CEO, the boss of Aperture, um, and he's going to be... I don't think this movie should have a primary antagonist because I think that makes it more fun, but he's as close as the movie will come to having a, a main villain. Um, it, casting this role was really tough. So again, I know you two haven't played the game. Um, in the games, or in Portal 2 especially, especially, you only hear his voice in like recordings, but he's voiced by J.K. Simmons. And as we all know, J.K., I mean, he just excels with like voice acting and just has this gravitas and is fantastic. Um, I would encourage anyone to YouTube Portal 2 Lemon Rant. Um, Cave Johnson goes on this big rant about lemons within the context. You'll understand it, it's fucking hilarious and it's J.K. Simmons, so it's just so funny. Um, anyway, casting the role, and I, I obviously I wanted to stay away from just 
you know, casting people from the games because I wanted to be a little creative with it. But it was daunting because JK has that presence. But this is another actor who maybe isn't the most obvious choice to replace him, but he's a kind of a character actor that shows up and thinks, and I'm always such a big fan of his. And he's he's always played kind of side roles and stuff. He's in um, season one of Asian Carter. He shows up in uh, movies like Take Shelter, and he was in the show um, Homecoming on Prime. Um, I'm going to go with Shea Wiggum. Um, he is an older actor. He's, I think he's in his like late 40s, maybe 50s. Um, like I said, he's got just a really interesting energy to him. And I like I like that as Cave because Cave Johnson, again, CEO of a shady corporation. Like you think you kind of know everything about him. I would want to play with audience expectations with that, both with people who know the games and people who don't. I would want to play with like his role in the story. His connection to Caroline, I think that's really important. I want to play with their relationship and see like if it's a genuine thing or if it's something that he's manipulating her. And then I think that it would just be fun to see uh, the way that he deals with like his corporation. Like you, we, we just talked about it with Damon's pick for Dutch. He's a leader of a gang who's very charismatic and cares about his people. Maybe he doesn't do the best things. I think with Cave, it's also a thing of like he cares about his job and cares about this corporation that he's built but maybe it doesn't go about things in the most ethical way. And I think that that would be challenged by Caroline, by Shell, once she, once she comes into the picture. Um, I'm going to go ahead and also just take this left turn as well, because we're adapting these and we can kind of take some creative liberties. Uh, something that was never confirmed, but was a big fan theory in the games, was that Shell was Cave's daughter. I want to go ahead and just straight up do that. I think that would be a really fun way to factor her more into the story. Because one thing that's difficult with Shell is that she, you you play as her, so she doesn't really need to have a whole lot of connection to the story. And so I think the challenge in the movie would be what is her personal connection to this. So I think the easy answer to that is that Shell doesn't know who her parents were. They died, you know, when she was very young. And I think that through these her traveling back in time, seeing and we all love like these complicated, you know, parent uh, child relationships and like time travel stories. But I would love to see like her uh, there. There's a very infamous moment in like the lore of Portal when I think it's in like the late 90s when Aperture is on its last legs. Cave uh, has like a bring your daughter to work day um, at Aperture brings in his daughter. It's definitely treated as like an Easter egg in the games. You're meant to kind of maybe assume that that's Shell, but it's never explicitly stated. I think it would be a really cool moment towards the end of the movie of Shell seeing that happen and then having that memory and being like, oh shit, that was my dad. Um, that was also the same day that uh, Caroline's consciousness was transferred to Gladys um, and Gladys basically flipped the fuck out, immediately became self-aware and turned into, you know, a homicidal AI. And she basically floods the enrichment center, which is like the, the laboratory's testing area. She floods it with this neurotoxin, kills all the scientists, and Aperture turns into this big testing center, setting the stage for the first por uh, Portal game, like where you are in the first game. So I think that uh, Shay playing Cave Johnson, who is this kind of shady CEO, but has this genuine connection with Caroline, meets shell and like you you don't know if he knows that that's his daughter grown up or what having that connection i think would be really interesting and then trying to understand like why he is 
getting sicker and like what exactly they're trying to do with these portals, I think would be interesting. I know that the way I'm talking about this, it's making it sound really ambiguous. I'm not trying to do that on purpose. I think that one of the things I think would be fun about it though, is just keeping it a very mysterious story and then letting Alex Garland just kind of play it out. Right. Like, I, I just think that that's, that makes it a really interesting story. Um, but I think, yeah, Shea Wiggum is a really good actor. And I think that he deserves to be in more lead roles. Like he shows up in, minor or supporting roles a lot and usually steals the show honestly um I, I thought he was one of the best parts of agent carter and i think that he yeah he him playing this more sinister role would be really fun and then seeing him play off of uh you know shell and especially caroline the nature of their relationship what happens there i think would be really fun i i really like shea wiggle and agent carter i think this is a very good solid pick first off cave johnson great video game name just i gotta love it um and two i just if anything i, I would hope that this this movie kyle would really lean into the mystery of it all i mean just let it be a puzzle box kind of movie almost if, if anything just lean into the fact that this is all about puzzles and mystery i think it just have as maybe not an oversaturation but like several different mysteries and questions that you are being actively question, like asked throughout the movie, and then like maybe some don't get answered, and a couple do. I love the idea of finding out that you know, Cave is, is Shell's dad. Like you said towards the end, right? Like that would be such a cool, important, huge moment, um, and I could see just it working out really fun and well. Uh, I I'm really excited if this were a movie. I think I'd have a lot of fun with it. Um, I just I kind of want to play the games now, even though I am not the best at uh, super puzzle games. I always they always make me feel uh, less than I usually am. <laughs> uh, your thoughts, Nick, on this? Do you think that's a good ch- casting choice for Cave Johnson? Yeah, I really like the casting choice. Um, I do have two questions. Um, my first one is: Is he being played as like the he starts out good and Jen he makes one sacrifice and then he makes another sacrifice? And then all of a sudden he's a bad guy and he never meant to be this way. Um, Cause that feels like kind of feels like the road that you're going down, which I think that's the best. Cause just an evil CEO is like, yeah, he's evil. I don't know. Um, but like the fact that it's like he, he wanted to be good and then he just had to make one and then two and then three sacrifices. And then my second one is, are we playing that time is a flat is a circle that no matter what happens happens, or are we playing that like, Caroline has a choice and she has to decide whether to go into this, um, whether to become the AI and he has a choice to be better and all that stuff. Or are we just saying that Shell was there the whole time and she, she saw it happen and she sees it happen every time that it happens? Uh, yes, the great questions. Uh, the, the first one, I think I agree. I think that playing Cave as it's a little it's a it's more black and white in the games of like he was just this shady ceo and there's really not much else else to him so yeah i would want to play him as a guy and again setting this way back in the heyday of aperture he's like a young kind of hopeful startup basically he wants to do good he wants to basically just provide progress for his country and 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 travel and so that's his intention going in and then as yeah as the movie progresses he just gets he makes more sacrifices, makes more compromises um, like in the, in the lore of the game. By the 1980s, test participation became mandatory for all staff. And I think that that would be the real turning point where he would instead of like hiring, uh, 
you know, specific like people in the military or like people to come in and test these products out. He's now doing it for each and every one of his scientists and everyone who works at Aperture. And it becomes this thing where like, oh, no, you've become like you've become kind of the thing you wish to destroy, you know, like that that kind of classic cliche thing. Um, I think it would play really well. I think it'd be really compelling. I think Shay would play it really well. Um, and then the second thing is, I think, is the kind of the crux and the big question of the movie. What I think would make really and I people know this about me i'm a sucker for like a gut punch of an ending i think it would be really fun or not fun but i think it'd be really compelling to see like things be changed in the past and then as shell is traveling back and forth coming back to the present and seeing those things change in the present so like understanding that oh we can change things but i think her having that knowledge, but then still seeing Caroline become more distrusting of both Aperture and Cave and still going down the path of becoming Gladys, I think would make it like a really tragic ending to the movie because it's like Shell understands like, no, you can change. This is not a fixed point in time there, we can branch from this timeline and you don't have to become Gladys. You can create a new path for yourself or for Aperture if you want to take this corporation away. But I think, like, the most, for me, the most compelling part of the movie would be Caroline becoming more and more disillusioned with this company, and specifically with Cape Johnson. And eventually, yeah, the ending of her, like, her consciousness being transferred to Gladys. And then I, my, the way I picture it is the final scene being, we never see it in the games, but the final scene being bring your daughter to work day and cave is basically like almost on his deathbed, but his daughter is coming in. We realize it's shell and then Gladys wakes up and immediately just goes ape shit and kills basically everyone in aperture. And the movie just ends that way. Either, either with shell dying along with them or shell being sent back to the actually, I sorry, I like just came up. Basically my ending now is that happening shell being sent through a portal ending up in the present, but she's back in Aperture, and it's the beginning of the first Portal game. She's waking up and is being told, Gladys shows up and tells her, you know, good morning, Sid, or good morning, test subject, it's time to begin the test. And that's the end of the movie. It's a loop, she's back at the beginning, and now she has to do tests again. Because then that maybe opens it up to, like, a, a sequel. The next movie is, like, the adaptation of the first Portal game proper, or you could do a different thing. Like, it kind of gives you both choices, but... Yeah, I would want I would want it to be that kind of tragic ending of like understanding we can change things in the in the past and it changes things in the present, but sometimes things are destined to happen because of like relationships and things that are more difficult to work out with Caroline and, and Cave Johnson. That's deep. Um before we get to your next pick, quick break. Hey there, and we're back, and Kyle had just cast Cave Johnson for his Portal movie. Uh, now we're to his fourth pick. Kyle, who are you casting now? Uh, okay, so for this one, um, I'm going to go with a character who he technically does not show up in um, either Portal or Portal 2. They, I can't, For the life of me, I can't remember. They released something that was kind of, it meant, it was meant as like a bridge in between the two games. I don't remember if it was like a little short film or like a little like DLC that they released. Basically though, it is told from the perspective of an Aperture scientist named Doug Ratman. Um, 
and he is basically he survives the bring your daughter to work day incident like all these scientists are killed by the neurotoxin he somehow escapes and is in aperture trying to stop gladys from taking over from this hostile takeover um and the the dlc or whatever it is follows him trying to stop that and then eventually it follows like the events of the first portal game from his perspective as he's watching shell like become smarter and like beat all of these tests and he's trying to help her and it's cool because it actually makes things in the first portal game make more sense because you're given some hints and stuff and while you're playing the game you're meant to believe that that's just the game helping you out but then with this dlc it's like oh that was doug from behind the scenes trying to help um so i would want to cast this character as this guy who is an active scientist during the heyday of aperture um he meets shell he meets or he knows caroline he knows cave and just like caroline he becomes more disillusioned but he he wants to help and of course doesn't go down like the dark path that caroline does tries to help shell tries to help her you know get away eventually you know with that ending does not get away but he still survives like he does in the games so i'm gonna go with um an actor who again like i i love him and everything i love him in the movie hush in 10 cloverfield lane he especially in 10 cloverfield lane if you've seen the movie literally only three cast members um mary elizabeth weinstead john goodman and who i'm casting as doug john gallagher jr um and in that movie in particular before I don't want to give anything away in case anyone hasn't seen the movie uh, before we know like who who is playing what role in that movie we really don't trust John Gallagher Jr. like we think that he might be a little bit more of a sinister character um, and that's how I want him to play Doug like I want I want Shell to show up at Aperture you know meet Caroline meet Cave you know she knows kind of who they are but when she meets Doug I want there to be like bad vibes immediately <laughs> and I think that John Gallagher Jr. is really good at that like he can play that shady character who you don't know if you can trust or not but then is able to like display real vulnerability and like you you have empathy towards his character he plays that so well in 10 Cloverfield Lane and so I, I would want to I want to see him do that as Doug Ratman um and yeah he's just he's he's Along with Caroline, she is like uh, Cave Johnson's assistant, and let's be real, it's the 50s, so she does a lot of like busy work and doesn't really get to do anything in terms of like uh, scientific discoveries. That's where Doug comes in, and he he is kind of the lead scientist at Aperture and is, you know, coming up with all these different products, coming up with early models of the portal gun and stuff, all that. He's he's in direct contact with Cave Johnson throughout the entire movie. But as and he's also like, I think a, an a important part of it would be that as Caroline becomes more disillusioned with Aperture and with Cave Johnson and Shell is pointing out the hypocrisies and like the the unethical practices of the company, I think Doug Ratman would be the one who would like stick by Cave for the longest time. And like, no, it, it, he's he's just cutting corners. It's fine. We're going to be fine. You have to trust him. And I think I think there would be a specific moment in the movie. I can't really picture what the exact thing would be but i think there would be a tipping point where like someone would maybe like die during a test or like go through a portal and never come back or something and i think that, that would be kind of his light bulb moment he would wake up and realize that he has to he has to start changing things and so that's where he starts helping shell helping gladys and, and caroline um yeah and, and i you know I, a lot of this is 
if if people are listening and they love the Portal games, I know a lot of this is a very bare bones story that doesn't feature a lot of what makes Portal so fun. Um, I understand that it's more of a paranoia kind of like thriller story. Um, so I would want to bring in some of that fun sci-fi stuff that the games are known for. So that's where Doug comes in because as the lead scientist, you know, he's in charge of creating all these new gadgets. So along with like the early model of the Portal gun, you have like the games have these this thing called the propulsion gel which basically in the game it makes you either go like really fast through a portal or you can use it to jump really high in the mechanics of the game i think in the context of the movie it would be fun to like have him manufacture that that ends up helping shell and caroline um in like maneuvering around the laboratory once they've been caught or like once they've been found out by aperture and they're trying to to get around the lab without being caught like that the, the gel would help them but like i i would want there to be elements of the games to be put in not to take away from the story but just so that fans of the game could still see like oh that's the gel that's the thing from the game um and that'll also be my fifth cast member that i'll get to obviously later big easter egg from the games but yeah uh, doug is yeah he's my my lead scientist john gallagher jr i think would be a really good pick to play that character who like is blind for a while following his boss and eventually kind of wakes up and, and joins the the other side. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think John Gallagher Jr. would be excellent for a role like that. Like you said, he does have, he gives very shady vibes off. Um, and so I think you need as many questionable characters in this type of movie. Because it is, it's it's like kind of like that mystery thriller. You don't know who to trust. You don't. Uh, Shell doesn't know who to trust. I mean, essentially, she kind of thinks everyone's almost in the wrong at this point. Um, but but one question, I might have just didn't hear it. But who is Shell impersonating in the past? Who is she to everyone? Um, so that she can get close to everyone. Who? What is she? How is she doing that? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Like, I think that I think that there wouldn't this isn't me like dodging it, but I think that there wouldn't be much time spent on it. I think it would be more like she again with this with this being aperture in the 50s, they're like full of science is full of of new hires. So I think that she would just it would be as simple as her like meeting Caroline and and shadowing her or like like, you know, just just quote unquote joining the team. And I think that because cave is so uh caught up in like the the up and coming nature of his company he wouldn't he wouldn't think twice about who she is she would just you know she would just blend in with the rest of the the staff gotcha i'm really liking the vibes of this um i feel like it it'd be so intense the longer it would go towards the end um nick do you do you like the vibes that this is putting off so far and do you think john gallagher would work as doug yeah, I um there's a there's an interaction or like a pairing that I think that would be um that would be amazing is uh John Gallagher Jr.'s character and um the girl that becomes Gladys. Um I, at the same time they're both unraveling the fact that uh this isn't what they signed up for. Um because I feel like they they would do that together. Like I feel like the, the movie would just make that be a thing that they're both becoming disillusioned together and they're finally trusting um, this random person from the future that they don't know, but then like she's convincing them they're seeing it and they kind of come to the revelation 
uh, together that this this isn't going well. And then obviously we we have whatever happens, uh, however he survives and stuff. Um, but like I feel like they would they would be figuring that out together. Um, so yeah, I kind of like the idea that um, that it's like you what's the word? that you don't even know as you're watching it if he's going to turn bad because you see um, you see this uh, main character so two main characters so defending him so hardcore uh, him being the uh, the big bad CEO um, I think that's a very I think it's a very good thing that it's like oh you you this is a coin flip you don't know if it's gonna turn out uh, good or bad and then when it turns out bad then they're both you know in the fold with um, with shell. Yeah, I, I, I dig it. I'm interested to see who you get last, since you said it's a really big Easter egg and everything. Um, but yeah, no, let, let's, I think, move along to my fourth pick, y'all. Um, back to the world of Red Dead. And we are going to talk about the main antagonist of this series. One of them, of course. Um, I didn't mention it before, but throughout this whole series, they are running away from the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Um, which is kind of like the FBI in this fictional setting of the West and South. Um, they also have a lot of run-ins. Um, where is that at? Um, they have a lot of run-ins with this wealthy oil magnate, Leviticus Cornwall, who owns a lot of land and has a lot of privateers for him. Uh, there's also the Saint-Denis-based Italian crime lord, Angelo Bronte, uh, Saint Denis is essentially a New Orleans knockoff, so you you, you know they're going to have that prominently featured in the series. If I have anything to do with it at all, um, but mainly the biggest antagonist is someone inside the Vanderland gang, and I'm talking about Micah Bale, who is essentially a one of the more one of the newer members of this gang. He joined probably about five, six, seven years ago. And he's just a, a bit of a bit of an unstable guy. He's a very loudmouth, crude individual who who just kind of honestly tends to get off on on all the violence and debauchery that they get up to. Um, he's you know he's just kind of really crass, and you need someone in this role who can be very crass. And I was looking, and I thought this person would fit that perfectly. Not only does he have history with Rockstar, but he just he has this way about him. And I'm going to go with Stephen Ogg of Trevor from GTA V fame. He also played Simon from The Walking Dead. I somehow, without even realizing it, I went with, with two Walking Dead guys who actually worked together in close combat. Didn't do that on purpose, but it happens. Um... Stephen Ogg would just be able to play this very chaotic character really well. You'll never know if he's going to snap or when he's going to snap. He already has really, really great chemistry with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, as we've seen in Walking Dead. And as you see him really kind of manipulating and turning a lot of the people against Arthur and the other members of the gang, uh, you really see just how much of a pull he has on Dutch right now. And you really see him becoming the one who's pulling the strings. Um, and that becomes a really big, tense conflict as, as the, t the two, uh, you know, kind of divide. And him and Arthur Morgan, they have a really big showdown, I think, towards the end of the, 
the show in which, of course, our guy Arthur does kill, kill Micah. But not before he's critically injured. And he maybe does. You won't know until season two. But yes, so Stephen Og Stephen Og as Micah Bell, our antagonist of Red Dead. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense with the um, splitting of the gang. It seems like there's a lot of fractures in the gang with uh, Stephen Og trying to uh, break it apart, Jeffrey D. Morgan and Hugh Jackman kind of uh, breaking it apart on their own. Um, I really like the. It kind of feels like a. Um, uh, kind of like a one of the one of the shows where they have a very rich family and everything's uh, it's like you're together but you're not together because everyone wants to kill each other Game of Thrones style I guess would be the one of the better ones or Succession I guess um, you're really just trying to cut the next person out and it's like you care about them but you have to make uh, you have to make tough choices and I always think that's great for TV because it's like um, you know it's the kind of thing where it's like oh um, you're uh, you're crying as you're killing this person because you know they they mean something to you but they're um but they you know i don't know i just like those dynamics a lot um for a show because it's like um people that are just bad for bad sake aren't very compelling but someone that's on on the inside of the team and uh yeah i like that right like it's not like he's just like doing this to, to break up the crew it's just the fact that he wants to keep doing really dumb bad shit he doesn't want to change and he's seeing that they they kind of want to. And so he's just, he's sinking in his teeth a little bit. He's just throwing some words here and there to everybody like, you know, do we really want to change? Like, life's been pretty good, right? You know, like, we shouldn't be doing this. We should keep doing what we've always done. And you can just see the seeds being laid in, in scenes throughout the series before you really see the divide. And, and what happens in the game, I think what happened in here is like, in a big, in a big showdown against the Pinkertons, um, Arthur is left for dead. Arthur's left behind because essentially Micah has gotten into Dutch's head and, and just Dutch just cares about getting away to fight again. He doesn't care about saving Arthur, who's pretty much his son. Um, and so it just creates a lot of divide and be super tense show. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson it does tense very well. So I would love to see that uh, with in his hands. Uh, Kyle. What do you feel about that? Do you like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, we have one of the most recognizable voices in video games with Trevor Phillips. Like, the idea of Stephen Ogg playing Micah is fun as hell. Um, yeah, they make me happy. Um, but like y'all are saying, like, I love the idea of that conflict of even in the context of a, a Western gang, still having this like level of, I guess, hierarchy and then someone trying to get in at the top and like, and manipulate someone. Um, it makes me think of, I know this is a more modern example because I think this goes back to like Shakespeare, but like, it makes me think of the Planet of the Apes movies. I think it was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes with Koba, like questioning Caesar and his relationship with the humans. That was like my favorite part of that movie. Um, and so, I love the idea of having Micah function as that type of character. And then, yeah, the heartbreak, like him basically getting Dutch to leave Arthur behind is like devastating. So I, it's a really fun casting choice. And like you said, he 
we know he plays off of Jeffrey Dorn, Dean Morgan really well, so that's already a lock. And I'm curious to see like his interactions with with other characters, like Hugh Jackman and Logan Lerman's character. And um, yeah, I think that this is this, especially it being an HBO show, it would have a lot of prestige to it, and would be the one. You know, we've talked about our feelings on Succession on this podcast. Like, it would be the Succession on TV. Like, everyone would be like, "This is this is the greatest acting I'm seeing on TV right now," and all of these people are putting in a hundred and ten percent. And I feel like, especially with Micah or Stephen Ogg, like playing this really great antagonist would be really fun. Right. It, I definitely think this would be one that everyone would just be really raving about as long as everyone really put their all in it. And I mean, I don't see why not, but. You know, the, this cast behind Paul Thomas Anderson, I think they'd, they'd, they'd want to put out a masterpiece, and I think they really could. So, yeah, Steve Ogg being the unhinged, chaotic Mike Bell. And uh, let's roll on to that next pick. Uh, we are back to uh, you, Nick, right? What you got for us? Yeah, um, so this next person is probably going to be the second most important character. Um, like I said, I went, uh, well, third, I guess, behind uh, the BK himself. Um, went with Donald Glover just because I wanted to make sure um, he was still around. But um, I'm going to cast Aquafina. Um, and she's not always my humor, but she is hilarious, if that makes sense. So Aquafina is going to be, um, she's going to, she's gonna think she knows everything she's going to be very um i know what we need to do because i've seen all the horror movies but what's funny about it is she's only seen the bad ones so when she's gonna reference a horror movie she's gonna be like dude i've seen halloween three i know what we need to do or oh man you know i saw jason x when he was in space i know what we need to do uh and it's she's going to basically be everywhere that they should turn they can do a fork in the road the gang Wherever they should turn, she's going to suggest the other one. And for no real good reason other than the fact she talks confidently about it, they're going to go with her. And they're going to take the wrong fork in every road. Kind of like uh, the Geico commercial where it's like, oh, why don't we get in the running car? No, we got to run over here by the chainsaws. That's going to be Aquafina's character. And she is just going to continuously be wrong about things. Um, she is going to be the one that thinks Donald Glover's always dead. She's going to be the one that, and it's just going to be like, um, it's going to, she's just going to compile her mistakes over and over and over again. It's, oh, I saw what we needed to do. We need to um, pray because it's a demon. And then they're going to, I don't know, pray to the spaghetti monster or something because it's like, you're just going in the wrong direction. Like you're, you're just wherever you need to go, you're not going the right way. Um, I think that's going to be absolutely hilarious because I feel like this whole cast is just going to keep going along with her suggestions of doing the wrong thing. Um, and it's just going to be ineptitude after ineptitude of the Burger King being inept at actually killing people. And then she's going to ineptly put them in bad situations where the Burger King will still probably not kill them. Um, and it's just going to be over and over again where she's going to give him every chance to succeed on accident. And he's still not going to succeed on accident. And it's just, I think, I think that's just going to be a hilarious dynamic. Also, I think she'll play well off of everyone. Um, she's a very versatile actor. I thought she was amazing in Shang-Chi. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just think that she makes a, she's got a great, uh, the humor that she'll bring is going to really tie everything together. Aquafina. Kyle, do you think Aquafina along with Donald Glover and Pete make a pretty good trio? Absolutely. Um, Basically, this is your anti-Randy Meeks from the Scream movies, which I think is hilarious. Um, 
well, even like the Scream movies themselves, Randy is in the first two, but then like you have Kirby take over in Scream 4 as like the know-it-all and they kind of subvert what happens to them. So yeah, having a, a know-it-all who only knows the bad movies is really creative and very funny. And I think that Aquafina playing it would be really good because she she usually plays the more laid back like friend who doesn't like know everything and is just kind of along for the ride. And so like her and being the character who, who knows everything and is or thinks she knows everything. And uh, I would only I would hope that like Pete would just point out like, no, that's fucking stupid. You're not going to do that. But then they do it anyway. I think it would be really funny. But yeah, Aquafina like playing that role would be really, really good. I think between her and Donald Glover, there would be so much improv and them just playing off each other. Um, and yeah, I, I just, so it, I guess I didn't ask this at the top. I mean, we're like four cast members in is, and you might've said it earlier, but is this all happening like at a Burger King or like what, what's the setting here? Um. So they are, so the three, so um, the girl you haven't met yet, Aquafina, Donald Glover, all work at the Burger King. And then Pete Davidson is just a customer who was t- who heard, overheard them talking about going to the Burger King mansion um, up on the house, castle, if you will. So okay, um, yeah. and then they're, it's essentially they're going to the, the place where you shouldn't go. And Pete goes along for the ride because he's Pete. And then um, this is all happening basically on this um, on this mansion um, up there where there's a bunch of rooms to have people pop out of trip and fall, all that, all that stuff. So it's, it's all taking place up in the middle of, uh, in the, in the up there, if that, if that makes sense. I love it. It's very Scooby-Doo and there, yeah, it, I, there's like potential for, of course, with a horror movie, like you want creative and fun kills. And so like early, you know, like different, like moments like that. And so that in a Burger King mansion and then with Aquafino telling them like, no, we need to go over here and things immediately going wrong is funny as hell i again i just want to bankroll this movie and watch it yesterday (laughs) so all the the one thing is all the kills are going to be very um there's a word for it i don't know it um mousetrappy in the way that like the um burger king can't get the chainsaw started but he throws an elbow that hits like the breaker box and electrifies somebody downstairs He's not meaning to kill, but he sets off this chain. Re- he's meaning to kill, but he's not meaning to kill in this way. It sets off a chain reaction of death that's not on purpose. And it's like somehow people are going to be dead and no, with no real intent on it, if that makes sense. Um, kind of like um, Dale and um, Tucker versus Evil in the way of like people just keep dying on accident. The Burger King is trying to kill people, but people keep dying in weird accidental ways. And it's just it's going to be hilarious deaths with the blood and the gore, obviously. Even better. That's yeah, it's incredible. Damon, what do you think of those those creative uh, non kills? Yes, no, I, I love that you mentioned Scooby Doo because I definitely got Scooby Doo vibes. Um, and also, this could really just be a backdoor pilot to how the Scooby Gang meet. You know, all you need at the end is a is a random. They meet a dog that like that the it was the king's dog, and after the king, they somehow maybe they all survive, and instead the king killing them, they kill the king and they take his dog. But no. Um, this is just going to be a fucking hilarious movie. Like we've already mentioned scary movie. And like, you just said it has the vibes of like Tucker and Dale versus evil. Like just like the accidental kills, all the different gags that you have running would be hilarious with all the different cameos. I, I think Aquafina's gag and short subversion of the trope is my favorite so far because just, I can imagine all the, the name drops of all the really bad horror movies. 
Halloween 3, Jason X, Sleepaway Camp 3. Like, it just, like, you could drop, like, 20-plus in the movie without breaking a sweat, and it'd just be funny every single time. Um, and it leading to another fun gag. I, I'm mad I didn't come up with something this good, because this, this is enlightening. This is hilarious. Uh, I really dig it. Uh, Aquafina, I think in that role especially, I think would could really be like one of her better roles too. Because I, I mean, I think she's got the chops for for really being, you know, she might not be the lead character, but she's like the apparent lead character, the person who you think's kind of in charge, and then probably doesn't survive. So, yeah, I, I dig it. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we move on to your next pick? I just, I just had to jump in and be that guy because it's who I am as a person. I love Jason X. I love, I know you were just using it as an example, but I fucking love Jason X. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Same. Same. I love that fucking movie when he swings them. Like, every part about it was just absurd. It was so fun. Yeah, that's the point of uh, this and all horror movies is that it's all absurd. And that's kind of what it's poking fun at. Like, Lord and Miller do an amazing job of poking fun at everything. And um, they can do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're being made fun of, um, which is really important uh, because a horror audience doesn't want to be made fun of that they like these movies. They want to laugh with you that it's, oh, my God, yeah, I remember when, um, I don't know, some, something crazy happened in a horror movie that made no sense. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, this is funny. Like I, you, that's what you want to do. Yep. You want to make you want to make jokes with someone instead of about someone. Right. Exactly. Um, I'll go with my final pick here. Um, this one is probably the least known of the bunch. Uh, not probably is the least known of the bunch. Um, Jessica Roth. Uh, she was the main character in Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. Um, also Blumhouse Productions. Also uh, black comedies. Um, she was amazing. Uh, she was all the all the great praise that you could give her. She was all of that. Um, so she is going to play our our leader um but no one listens to her because she is just um small stature female no one's gonna listen to her she is gonna be like she's gonna be the person that's like aquafina why are we doing this and they're gonna do it anyways and she's gonna be just getting progressively and progressively more pissed off that no one's trusting her when she's obviously right like not even close to like it's like obviously let's run away down here and it's like no no, no we need to go back in the house because Something. I don't know. Um, like, and that she's going to continue to play that character. Um, and then what she's also going to do is she's going to subvert the, there's a proper name for it and I want to give it its credit. Um, the Madonna whore complex. Sorry for the language. Um, so essentially it is the slut shaming that horror has always had a fascination with, um, that, uh, you're either a virgin and you're pure and you're, you can be saved from being killed or you're dirty and shameful and that you're a slut and you need to be murdered. Um, we're going to go completely off the rails with this one. And we're going to say that she has had sex. She didn't like it. She's an asexual. We're getting some asexual representation. We're going to subvert the whore trope, if you will. Again, sorry for the language. Um, and we're going to make her the most capable character here. And I, th I just think it's, I think it'll be funny. I think it'll be a way to get some really good representation in there in a community that just doesn't get it. And I think it'll just be hilarious as she's like the Fred, if you will. Actually, she'd be more the Velma, if you will. She just keeps getting talked over by high Pete Davidson, by yelling um, Donald Glover and Aquafina, just leading them in the wrong direction. That 
I'm guessing at the end they will win and she will be the only reason that they win. Um, but she will get no credit because the rest of the group will take the credit because that's just what is going to happen in this movie. Whoa. I, I personally love that. And before you hear our thoughts, let's go to another quick break. Welcome back from break. We are breaking down our dream video game adaptations. Uh, Nick just gave us his last casting pick with Jessica Roth in the role of the, really the person everyone should be listening to, but is talked over. Um, also subverting some great cliche archetypes in horror movies. Um, I absolutely love this pick. I'm not a big fan of Happy Death Day. I never saw the second movie, but I clearly the best part of that movie is Jessica Roth because she's fantastic in it. She's hilarious, but also has some really great emotional scenes in that movie. Um, and I that's the only thing I've seen her in, so I would love to see her in more things. And more ace re- representation is never a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing because Nick is right. It's sorely missing in a lot of our mainstream movies and TV shows. Um, so I love this. I, it, the thing that would make this movie so great and charming is that it would do what a lot of modern horror movies try to do, but end up coming off really like, I don't know, pandering or cringe in that they try to subvert a lot of horror archetypes, but they go too far on in the meta sense. But I think this movie strikes a great balance and does a great job of subverting some really stupid antiquated uh, cliches in horror movies. So Jessica Roth is a great pick for that. She rounds out a really good cast and I'm ah, super into all of this. Uh, Damon, what do you think about Jessica Roth? Yes, I very much like Jessica Roth and her, uh, her talent skills like i personally really love happy death day uh and happy death day to you i like them both um she's definitely the best part of them both she's just she's able to carry a movie she has a little presence about her and to see her like with this cast which clearly they all have much bigger name presence than her i think she would be able to hold her own easily and it would also like add to the meta of everyone talking over her and not listening to her even though she's like the one that's the most capable and like is saying all the right things. Um, I like that little added part. And I, I just, I really love the idea of this as a movie. Um, I love parody. I love satire. And when you're able to really like jump on like a specific like archetype and really flip it on its head like that, and you're doing this with every character, I, I just really, really like that. I think this would, this would be so hilarious and I need it. I need it now, Nick. Thank you for making this a reality. Uh, you should be talks in talks with Lord and Miller soon, I hope. So let's do it. Um, but no, that that's a great cast. And uh, I guess that means we're, we're back to me, yeah? Uh, yeah. Uh, whew, one more. All right. So my problem in casting Red Dead is there's a lot of characters that I can't cast that would definitely play an important part of the show whether it's the pinkerton agents whether it's um it's the italian crime lord like i mentioned earlier if it's abigail roberts uh john's wife who i really thought about casting because i i really want that to be a really important part of the show is their relationship but i think just i think to focus on another aspect of the show that's going to be running parallel to the the gang being divided is the story of Sadie Adler. Uh, she is this woman who you meet very early on in the game. Um, 
you know, the gang is starting to try to, to head back and, and find something new. And there it's it's snowing and they see this house uh, on their way and they they try to go to for safety. And clearly, apparently it's been attacked. There's no one there. Hardly they find a dead body. Uh, and also who they find hiding in in the shed is Sadie Adler. And apparently her husband was killed, murdered by the O'Driscolls, who happen to also be the the blood enemies of the Vanderlyn gang. And so the, it's, a, it's a big tie-in right there. Um, they already have a, a bond. And so Sadie eventually decides to join them. She has nothing else. She doesn't know what else to do, so she joins them on their, their trek, and she becomes a part of the gang. Um, she's a very capable tracker, and apparently a very, very good shot, as we learn later on in the series. But we, we meet her in a very, very important part of her, very vulnerable. And we see over the course of the series her becoming vengeful, but also hopeful of the future, becoming more confident in herself. And she ends up becoming essentially a bounty hunter. Um, and essentially very hooked on the idea of hunting down the O'Driscolls. And so we follow her through the series trying to find them and Arthur helping because they have this very, this bond between the two really, really grows. And we see this friendship form between the two. And someone who could play this very capable badass of a character who's also can be very vulnerable, but I just want to see her in a Western uh, outfit because I think she'd rock it. I think she'd be such a great time in this role. Just, I can see her with these people um, and I, I got to go Brie, Lar- Brie Larson, man. I think her as Sadie Adler would just be so fun. I think she'd be she'd be very believable. And to see her grow into this just really capable, confident character who eventually at the end gets her revenge while not succumbing to it. She's able to walk away, not, not ravaged by it. And uh, as the series rolls, we see her, you know, moving on from the gang unscathed she gets away from it before they really collapse and uh implode so brie larson as sadie adler kyle thoughts brie larson is queen we stand brie larson in this podcast uh yeah she's she's the best um i'm a huge envy adams fan i i I love brie i i love the idea of sadie in this character in this uh story um yeah, I think this is, you know, I think oftentimes with stories that are of a specific genre, so like, say, a Western, for example, it can be very dominated by men. Like, it is just typically a very male-driven story. And so I think bringing in Sadie and having her, maybe even having, like, one of the most compelling character arcs in the story in the season, you know, season one, is a really, really great call. And obviously, Brie Larson has has shown that she can play compelling character arcs, um, and she's a fantastic actress. And so I would love to see it. I agree. Having her as a, as a gunslinger, at least a Western character, would be fun as hell. Um, yeah, she, she rounds out a really, really... This is just a cast, like, stacked full of people who are, like, uh, either, like, at the top of their game, you know, like Hugh Jackman or Jeffrey Dean Morgan or Stephen Ogg, who, like, no, I haven't seen him in The Walking Dead, but, like just is this recognizable voice and I would love to see in live action in some context. And so 
she rounds that off really rounds that out really well in a person who already you know she's an oscar winner like she is an established actress and this would just be another layer to how great of an actress she is so it's a great great pick not to mention the musical episode is going to hit so hard y'all so hard <laughs> I mean, in, in the adams <laughs> um but no also i just i definitely think it would be the most compelling story line of the show and best believe people would be clamoring for that sadie spinoff so i could see that definitely happening um nick do you like the casting choice of brie larson yeah it actually um is the most straightforward one of all of your casting choices um i think it's the one that is the most predictable because it's the most most right if that makes sense i don't know if that's a, the proper grammatical way to put that but i don't care um so it's like that's the one that you see online a lot is brie larson as c um it's like it's kind of a shoe in it's like if they make this she has to be them and it, it that just makes sense um she can play the strong stoic woman um i think she has the range to be the uh fractured broken person that becomes uh more confident in themselves as uh, as they progress um i think that someone like brie larson is a huge name and the fact that you'd only need her for um i think you're saying one season um that, that's amazing too so then you could actually get her for this tv show like that's such a realistic idea is that hey brie larson comes in does this and then just goes about her way maybe has her own spinoff i don't know hbo's got that money um but yeah i think this was uh was a really good um i think you're like it's a it's the obvious one but it's like you have to take this one because it's it's so obvious right right um i think that's my favorite one too honestly just like the other ones are either like obvious or a swing and brie larson like you said it's almost just like it's too right. Like, I saw a couple other choices. Margot Robbie was a big one. I was like, I don't know. The only other one I thought seriously about was Emily Blunt. But I, I just, I felt like I could have gone either way. I, for some reason, I feel like Brie Larson would, would work really well. And definitely, just one series, one season, you know, she, she doesn't have too much time to jump away from her other uh, duties. So I don't think it'd work. So that that rounds out my cast, y'all. Um and that is Red Dead Season 1. And now we just have one more pick, us. Kyle, Portal, your movie, directed and written by Alex Garland. You have one more casting choice. What's it going to be? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned earlier, this is um, just basically a bit of a Easter egg slash he is a, a big character, a very big character in Portal 2. Um it, it's difficult to work out maybe his placement in the story with it time hopping and going back and forth. So I'm going to cast the role of Wheatley. Um, so if you know, you know, the game Portal 2, basically, um, yeah, Portal is pretty straightforward. It is you are playing a shell, doing these tests for Gladys, trying to escape. You do not escape at the end of it. Um, that's what leads into Portal 2. Portal 2, you've been like asleep for, I don't know, like 90 days and you wake up and the beginning of the game is you're, wo you're woken up by this uh, AI named Wheatley. Uh, he's voiced by Stephen Merchant in the game um, of, you know, the, the Office UK fame. 
Um, and he is known as a personality core or an intelligence dampening sphere. <laughs> so he's basically played as like comic relief in the first half of the game. He is your partner in the game. That's the difference between Portal and Portal 2. The first movie, you don't have anyone helping you out. In the second movie, he's kind of along for the ride for most of that first half of the game and is helping you out with the puzzles and also providing, you know, Stephen Merchant being funny and, and providing comedic lines. Um, about halfway through the game, though, like I said, he's an intelligence dampening sphere. His backstory is that he was attached to Gladys at some point during her takeover to try and make her more stupid and make her less smart and to prevent her from taking over Aperture. Um, that didn't work out. He got detached from her. So now he's just been wandering. He's literally like a, a, a sphere. Like you just hold on to him um, and he's a sphere. So he, he's been rolling around the, the lab ever since. Um, so halfway through the game, you and he run into Gladys and it's funny because you've been playing the game and it's a pretty short game. So you think, oh, this is the end of the game. We've beat it. This is the final showdown with Gladys, like the, the big boss fight. Uh, basically, you plug him into her mainframe to like power her down. She starts calling him a moron <laughs> and he freaks out and turns on her and essentially starts yelling at you the player about how like you don't respect how smart he is he's not just a stupid ai and then sends you away to like this other detention chamber and the entire second half of the game is you and gladys trying to stop uh wheatley <laughs> so it like switches the roles so wheatley is a fun kind of like he's a big role in portal 2 but i think in the context of the movie it's i've been trying to figure out what for this last pick the, the role that he would play in in the movie um, and I think he, this may be a bit of a boring choice, but I think he plays just a different scientist because again, you can't really have Wheatley as he's known in the games show up in, in the fifties. They, they hadn't made those advancements yet. Um, I think you can see some early models of the intelligence dampening spheres, but I, I would want, I also would want him to imbue a bit of a humanity into the movie. And I think that's where it makes a, a little bit more sense. So I, so Wheatley, as we know him in the movie, is this scientist, and he's going to be played by Simon Pegg. Um, I love Stephen Merchant. I think he's funny as hell. I also love Simon Pegg, though. I think he's hilarious in everything he does and just a genuinely great actor. Um, and I think that him playing Wheatley would be really fun as this scientist who is very naive, and he thinks that, like, not in the same way that Doug is, but he thinks that Aperture is just at the top of its game and is the future of modern technology and that they are the, the way forward. And um, I think that he would be the person who is manipulated by the cave Johnson. And unlike Caroline, unlike Doug Ratman does not really see uh, he doesn't see what what they see. He doesn't see cave kind of going down a dark path. And I think that he would serve as the, the turning point in Doug's journey and Doug finally having the light bulb moment of cave is, is up to no good. I think that Wheatley would be a scientist who is then asked to be a test subject in a, a test that goes horribly wrong, you know, halfway through the movie, maybe going into the third act, the test kills him. And maybe the end of the movie, we get uh, one of the early models of a Wheatley, you know, like a, an intelligence dampening sphere with Simon Pegg's voice, but him being killed, I think would be, uh, the turning point for both Caroline and for Doug, 
to go down these different paths of Doug being like, I need to stop Cave Johnson. I, I'm done. I'm done being manipulated by him. I'm going to help Shell. And then Caroline being like, Cave Johnson must die. <laughs> like these two people going down these diverging paths. I think what helps that is Wheatley, who is like this beloved scientist. Everyone loves him. He's everyone's favorite coworker. He's this really sweet, innocent guy and is just trying to do his job and gets killed for it. And I think that Simon Pegg would be really fun. I think this is in a sort of meta sense, this works as well because um, for anyone who you know watches the show, the boys, uh, before it became a show, the comics, the, the character Huey, the main character, Huey Campbell, was his likeness was based off of Simon Pegg. Um, now, when they cast the show, obviously they couldn't cast Simon because he's meant to be a really young character. He's in his 20s or 30s. So they just cast Jack Quaid, who else? I mean, he also does a great job because he plays a very innocent, naive character. Simon, Simon Pegg plays Hugh, his father, Hugh Sr. or whatever. Um, so I think that like I'm drawing inspiration from that as well, of like a Huey type character who's very naive, but he serves his function in the story. And one thing I love about the boys is that he doesn't he's underestimated a lot, but Huey is a very crucial part of that show. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's who Simon Pegg would be as Wheatley, as the scientist who basically serves as like a moral lesson of like, you know, don't fuck with the innocent people in your life or at your job because it's going to come back to bite you in the ass. And I think that Simon Pegg would play that really while also, you know, doing what Simon Pegg does and imbuing the movie with some humor, because I think a movie like this could easily get almost too dark to where it would be a difficult experience to watch, like very, very a heavy experience. So bringing in a comedic actor like Simon Pegg, throw in some some comedic moments with him as a scientist and it you know it meshes i think meshes really well so that's my my final pick for for portal i i'm so happy you picked simon Pegg. i i love simon Pegg. i don't think we've gotten to talk about him enough and now that i said that kyle we need to do an edgar wright effies um you're goddamn right we do that's a great idea <laughs> Thank you. Um, but Simon Pegg's great. And to have him in this role, it's a it's a really great integration of this Easter egg, of this character that, that you learn about in Portal 2, and then we meet him, and it's a completely kind of different character, though it's it's definitely, you know, inspired by it. It's the same voice and everything. And so to see that, how it, and it's, of course, his death, that really has kind of the breaking point to help you know, show Caroline and them shit really is going bad and they really do need to, like, do something about it. I, I really like that idea. And just this cast is really thoughtful. I think it's really underrated. I People, if they don't vote for it, I think I'm going to be mad because it's just, I think they'd be so good. Like, each one is is very talented. And I think together with Alex Garland at the helm, I think this would be an intense movie that you would never really know what was about to happen until it happens. And I, I really want to watch this. Uh, thank you so much for that one, Kyle. Nick, are you as happy with the casting choice for Simon Pegg? Yeah, I think Simon Pegg is, uh, I don't think he's been bad in anything he's ever been in. Um, I think he's the same, generally the same person over and over again. And I think that's awesome. I think that there are actors um, that do that, and I think he does that well. Um, I don't think there's much to add. You kind of you, you hit all the all the points. I think he. Um, I do believe that a cast of people would think he is so lovable that uh, um, that when he 
gets obliterated or whatever happens um that they would just feel like yeah no 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 that that guy's obviously evil he killed uh he killed simon Pegg. like that's that's fair i, I believe them very very true um and with that simon Pegg casting that finishes our fantasy cast y'all uh whew, those are three really good projects um and before we get out of here i mean did y'all have anything else y'all wanted to say about your project that you did not mention this would be the time to do so kyle anything else to, to put the cherry on the top yeah i just uh i basically covered it all of my casting choices but i think i think the fun thing about this movie again like i i i know that like there is like a lot of talk about the, like the curse of video game movies right like they've never seemed to get them right there's a, it's a rarity when there's a good video game movie i think that like there's very simple things to make a good video game movie people just don't do them <laughs> or like video game fans just have too high expectations right so i think with all three of these but like with, with speaking for mine i think that i would the reason i wanted to make it so separate while still keeping in the characters we know is that that way like you would go into it knowing as a fan of the games this is a different thing it's a you know it's it's not it's not the games it's not a remake of the games it's going to be its own story with some familiar elements from the games and i think that that is how you make a video game movie um but yeah i think that the selling point on this would just be that like if you like alex garland if you like those claustrophobic kind of paranoia thrillers in the world of a portal game um well also some cool shout outs and easter eggs to other things like i mean this i didn't even mention this because i don't think it would be a selling point if you like the half-life games uh you know that these games are have been confirmed to be set in the same universe as those um black mesa gets a couple mentions kind of off off the cuff in the games so i you know i, I didn't want to like cast you know, gordon freeman or like anyone from those games because i think it would detract from it but you could even throw that in like with some some shout outs to that and that could open the door for a movie for half-life um but yeah i just think that it would be a fun kind of contained sci-fi thriller um with again i love my gut punch ending so with that <laughs> bring your daughter to work day ending i think that would be kind of my, my selling point i dig it i would definitely watch it uh, as far as red dead goes um i just of course paul thomas anderson would be directing it but in my vision of how he would direct it it would be just as important uh as the big overwhelming action scenes and set pieces as the parts where it's just silence. Um, I really want the series to be to breathe. Um, I mean, cause it is still, it's a Western and I really want them to be able to just live in it for a little bit and just have, have that be almost a part of the show is, is the scenery and have it be beautiful. Um, and also just, as far as what you're going to see in the show, I mean, you're going to have robberies, you're going to have heists, you're going to have gunfights, you're going to have a, a ruckus, big old, you know, fun time at the saloon, you're going to have a car game, you're going to have all those really fun, cl cliche, but, but quintessential aspects of it, while also really learning about this gang, and how they are a family, a family that is breaking, and it's coming to a head. And just how much that means to everybody and how tense it's go it gets. Um, it's very much a, a family story that, that ends very violently. So that, that's Red Dead. Uh, Nick, anything else you wanted to add on yours? 
No, really. I think I covered most of it. Um, I just think it would be a really fun way to celebrate the movies that we um, we have had in horror, um, a way to make fun of the way we used to think. And uh, and now that we're progressing forward and change some of that. Um, and I just think it would be absolutely hilarious that um, as you guys uh, kind of dub them, the mystery uh, mystery ink is uh, sitting in the living room and uh, just out by, out by a bookshelf. You just uh, see. Uh, the Burger King, just one eye leering behind them or um, just outside a window and like lightning strikes. And then all of a sudden he's illuminated in the window, um, you know, and just uh, I think that the funniest part would be uh, Jim Carrey's uh, basically playing the Grinch. But uh, but he's not talking. So he's just doing all Grinch things. He's like tiptoeing around the way he did in the Grinch. Um, he's flailing his arms around. He's doing all of that. Um, I really just want to see uh, see him get real physical with it um, and become be all the Jim Carrey that we've had, just Jim Carrey to a hundred, but no words, and you're just getting all of that through his uh, his movement and stuff. And I just think it would be hilarious. It really, really would be. I I'm jealous of yours. Yours is fucking amazing, man. I love it, and that's why we do this. Um, and before also we get out of here, let's hear from our producer Anna H. Do you have any thoughts on any of the movies that we cast, any of the choices, and uh, who gets your vote for the winner of this draft? Shockingly, I am actually going to go with the horror option that Nick proposed. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows I'm not a horror fan. I refuse to watch horror movies, but I think, uh, what was it, Burger... Sneak. Burger Sneak. I think that would be a really entertaining one. Um, yeah, and I can't wait to watch it. What do we have to do to make this movie happen? Like, who do we who do we have to corner in Hollywood? <laughs> Lord and Miller, just uh, just tweet Lord and Miller, Nick, every day for the rest of ever until they they're like, okay, we'll do it. So, um, I'm sure it'll happen. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. Uh, well, Nick has one vote to start off, but will you win the poll? We will have to see then. But until then. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Nick, thank you so much. This was a blast. It's great having you on, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. You got anything for the people at home? Don't eat Burger King. It's really, really bad. Um, like, just eat other fast food, just not Burger King. Um, but uh, but watch this movie. <laughs> great anti-ad. I and that, Hey, no, this whole movie needs to be an anti-ad of Burger King. It just makes fun of Burger King the whole time. I'd be down for that. Um, but yes, everyone at home, thank you so much for listening in. Hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as we enjoyed it. recording it. If you have any ideas, comments, criticisms, just let us know on our socials, emails, just hit us up. Um, we'll always get back to you. Um, until then, we have a bunch of stuff cooking. Kyle, what do we have in store for the people? That's right. This rounds out another month of Planet Fantasy. For the month of June, we are coming in with some fun ideas. Week one, we are going to be back with yet another fantasy cast uh, in a different vein. Um, basically, we're going to be building our own jukebox musical with Friend of the Pod, Crystal. Lots of fun. Basically, yeah, building our own jukebox musicals, building a, a story with different songs. It'll be lots of fun. Um, uh, we'll also be coming back with the Effies for the MCU. Last one with Phase 3 with our good pals Morgan and Ryan. Um, we'll be hit, hitting 
we're not going to say who the hosts are yet, but week three will be a hostile takeover in which Damon and I will be taking our hands off the wheel. You'll be joined by two new hosts, so we can't wait for that episode. Um, and then, yeah, rounding the the month out with two more FEs, one for Pixar. Uh, that'll be huge, just Pixar in general. So it'll be, I don't know, 50 awards? <laughs> who knows? Of course, joined by good pal Micah, who is a Pixar expert. And then rounding out the month of june it's crazy to think that the show will already be over by then but we will be giving you the effies for obi-wan kenobi can't wait for that show to start so excited so if you're excited as well get ready for that episode to round out june but it's going to be a fun month so let us know what you are excited for what you want to see on planet fantasy some episode ideas we will always hear those draft ideas but until next we'll catch you all next week this is what we do